and have us. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of Sega City Sports Zoom Style. Zoom Style? Along with the founder and creator of Sega City Sports, Miss Lakina McGee, and my co host, I am Sydney Brown, aka Sid the Kid. You can follow me on Twitter at SidKid80 and Instagram at SidKid80. That's S I D K I D A 0. That's S I D K I D A 0. You can follow me at Keena McGee on Twitter and at Keena underscore, underscore McGee on the Instagram. And joining us this week is our very special guest. Uh, you heard her on, on the radio show uh, during this past NFL season. She's a sports reporter and anchor from CBS4 in Denver. She's the lovely and talented and former Denver Bronco cheerleader, Miss Romy Bean. Romy, welcome to our program. How are you today? Hi, guys. I'm doing great. It's so great to actually see you guys. We've talked on the phone, you know, a bunch during yeah. last football season, but now I get to see you guys. This is even better. Yeah, they, they love it. Time to join us today. We love seeing your beautiful face. Where can people find you on social media? Um, I'm on Twitter at Romy underscore Bean. I know that silly underscore so annoying. Um, and then, I did not have to say it this time. <laughs> and then uh, on Instagram, it's just Romy Bean. So, so that one's easier to find. Love it. Simple. All right. Our top, yeah, our top story for this week is the National Basketball Association has returned to play in the city of Orlando. They're, the 22 teams will play in three separate arenas on the campus of the ESPN headquarters, uh, Worldwide of Sports headquarters down there in the Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Two games tipped off on Thursday. It was the Utah Jazz faced off against New Orleans Pelicans, while the Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Clippers renewed their rivalry for the 2019-2020 season. But before the game, both uh, all players from all four teams kneeled during the anthem, and the referees joined in as well in protest for racial injustice and in the, following the murder of George Floyd. Romeo, I'll start with you. What did you think about uh, the actions of the players uh, before the game, uh, I'm assuming that you're in agreement with this, and and uh, that uh, the NBA players are actually are actually stepping up uh, with their actions behind their words. Absolutely, and you know, I think right now the NBA has the biggest platform uh, of all the leagues. It it certainly is the league that has the you know the biggest following right now. It's just started, and so many players already. A lot of these guys are really active in their communities, and people are listening and them taking even the little steps to put different um, phrases on the back of their jerseys. I mean, you notice that because you're looking as they're running back and forth. And what I really appreciate about the NBA is that they have committed to keeping this at the forefront. Even though basketball's back, even though sports is back, which is great, there's still a bigger cause out there. There's still a bigger reason of why we all need to come together and learn and educate and, and become better people. And I, for the NBA from top to bottom, I mean, I have to give them props because I know they're passionate about it, but they are pushing it and they are making sure that this conversation is just not forgotten. I think this is kind of crazy, guys, but because of coronavirus, I think this conversation came to a bigger light. And, and that's one of, if you will, the silver linings of coronavirus. If everything was going on, it could have got swept under the rug like it has so many times. And so I love that the NBA has committed to, okay, now sports are coming back, but there's a reason, a number one conversation that we are having, and we are not letting this fall under the rug again. And all of the other leagues are following. The NBA has really been an example for everything through coronavirus, 
the social justice measures. So I think that they're just doing an excellent job and I love that they are pushing the message and pushing it and pushing it because you have to keep doing that. We can't, we can't ever stop talking about it. Before I get to you, Lakina, I just want to piggyback off of Romy's point. Um, because of the coronavirus pandemic that which we're in right now, uh, we didn't have last dance from ESPN to distract us anymore. We didn't have the latest Hollywood blockbuster, quote unquote, uh, to be uh, spread all over uh, TV and because everything has been closed over the past few months. You didn't have that music artist, whoever is quote unquote hot right now. Yeah. Oh, my new album's out, my new album's out. <laughs> no one cares. So we've been right. um, forced to deal with this head on because of the pandemic. You can't help but to discuss it wherever your views are. You can't help but to discuss it because that's the only thing that's been in front of our televisions and in particular social media. And I think that in a way we are, you know, 2020 has been so crazy. I try and keep looking and finding the silver linings. And to me, this is, you know, another huge, this will go down in history as a huge time period in the civil rights movement. And I think to be a part of that, I feel very responsible. I feel very honored that I'm in a generation that can be a part of that to, to make change. And so for me, it's about every day educating myself how to be, you know, uh, on something different every day because there's so much that we can learn. And I think the best part is this is really the first time in a long time that I feel like there's been so many people from all different walks of life that have really seen seen this for what it is and realizing I don't want to be like that. And everyone kind of wanting wanting change together. And so we really are at a time where we can push change, we can make change and the beauty of sports is how much power that sports actually has to, to move the needle. And so going back to what you said about the NBA, they are, they're moving the needle and it's so important and it's so huge. And I'm, I'm just all on board and I love what they're doing. Well, the, and the NBA has been, you guys will agree, the NBA is probably the most progressive when it comes to pretty much everything, which comes yes. to equality with gender and race and, and everything. And I'm not surprised, I mean, from having Black Lives Matter, you know, printed on the court to letting the players sort of, you know, express themselves, you know, with different causes. I think I thought, it's like I saw some of the, um, the jazz players, I think all 14, I think, had like, you know, the victims of police brutality and also, mm -hmm. you know, justice and peace and everything so and i think i think it, it's it's good that the lead all these are starting to catch up you know little by little and look people are going to be looking at you guys now all these leads and all the players and you're seeing you know i i especially appreciate white athletes and white coaches speaking up because you know we all know how, how popovich feels we don't also steve kerr we know how he feels so i think it's good you know that all this is sort of you know we're, we're not in this fight alone anymore, Sid, because it feels like we've been doing this by ourselves for a long time, but it's good to have allies and you know, people working together to help make change. You know, and I feel as, as a white female, I feel responsible that, well, first of all, I feel like we are all in this together and that really it is like the word allies has been such a, a wonderful term, I guess, that, it, that is coming around to feel like, I feel such a responsibility to be an ally and, and the fact that everyone wants to do this together, I think is, is very empowering. Here in Denver, head coach Michael Malone, um, and he is a white male, he is 100% huge on the movement. He has been here, he has been at protests, he has been at rallies in Denver. Even when people didn't know, someone saw him one day and they're like, I think that's head coach Michael Malone. He was, he was just walking, you know, in a peaceful protest. And 
he has been incredible about, he actually said yesterday, here in this organization, we will never put a muzzle on anybody. Our players are free to say whatever they want because this is about educating. This is not about basketball. He's talked a lot about educating his two young daughters uh, on all of this. So to see how e this is just a movement where everyone has said enough is enough. And we're in this together. And again, the NBA to keep pushing it and keeping it at the top of conversation uh, is incredible. Romy Bean of CBS4 Denver joins us here on Sega City Sports Zoom style, along with Lakina McGee. I am Sydney Brown. Romy, let's stay on the protest theme for just uh, another moment or two. Of course, following the, uh, the unfortunate murder of George Floyd, there were protests all over the country, which expanded all over the world, including the city that you're working in, Denver. I uh, saw so, uh, footage of, of yours. You were reporting from the state capitol uh, where uh, protests uh, took place there. Uh, even though there wasn't any sports going on at the time, tell us your experience of covering those protests and how, how did you have to adjust from obviously covering sporting events to covering real life news? It was crazy. I mean, my first foray into uh, hard news was that it was not what I expected, but uh, you know, it, it was very profound for me. I um, went and I did the, it was, it was on the Friday of, of that, of the week when the protest first began. So it was just a couple days in and during the daytime I went uh, and walked with the crowd. It was an incredible protest. There's an incredible activist uh, in Denver named Tay Anderson and he works for the Denver school board and, and he has been incredible in, in pushing this movement here in Denver. But so he led it and we walked throughout downtown and it was, there was so much unity. There was so much peace. There was so much desire for, didn't matter who, what color, what race, what creed, what gender you were, we were all marching together for a cause. And it was inspiring. I, I left feeling like, wow, we can really make change together if, if, we, all, if we all stick together. And then it was so interesting because I, we went back for the evening protest. And, and when we went, in the day, Tay had said, he asked everyone, he said, go home, you know, th this is what we're here for, for the peaceful protest. Everyone, I beg you, please go home. And most of the people did. And what I noticed was the people kind of making trouble in the evening protest was a completely different group of people. It, it was, and so it was wild because you're realizing that, I think a lot of it too had to do with people were so cooped up in coronavirus that all these people just started coming up and, and unleashing anger at nighttime. And, it, and the hard thing was, it was really taking away from the message that, that was being sent during the day. Um, but what I noticed here in Colorado, and I know it's been different, but the, the, the day peaceful protesters just grew stronger and stronger from it. And here, the nighttime um, trouble, if you will, really dissipated pretty quickly because people just really took to Tay Anderson's message and they really took to each day I could tell more and more people were listening. Okay, we got to go home. Let's not make trouble. And um, here, you know, d like every city is a little different, but it was very cool in Denver to see this one individual, I mean, galvanize an entire community. And 99% of the time, all of the protests were peaceful. They were educational. Uh, and he provided still so, so much information for people and a place for everyone to feel together and comforted. I didn't see any altercations, anything like that uh, in the daytime. And throughout, he'd stop and he'd talk about, you know, tell little anecdotes, tell little stories to, to give us an insight of what it's like to be a black man living 
in America. Um, and he, I think, has just been incredible in those protests. And for the most part, again, it was it was all for the most part, you know, peaceful. And for me, it was to be there was an honor because that's when I really realized how important this movement is and how we all need to be in this together. Well, also the, the nuance of it. I mean, we saw, um, we heard uh, Broncos coach Vic Fangio um, that making his comments just after everything mm -hmm. that happened and say that, well, he didn't see any racism. And I'm sure, you know, about a day later, he kind of changed his tune and he was actually marching with some of his players in the protest. So what, what, now what, what was it like maybe seeing him, you know, protesting and then, you know, change his tune and kind of being more nuanced of what's been going on? You know, I think it, I always like to say it, take, it takes a big person to apologize and for him to immediately come out and say, hey, I'm sorry, I, I was wrong and to want to be educated. And I think, I think the difference between right now and perhaps other times is that people are craving that education. They, they want to know, wait, how, okay, tell me how I was wrong. Tell me more about your experience. And there's been this more openness and, and desire to learn and understand. And I think understanding really is is the first key. And for him, then he did show up at the Broncos um, players held a rally. And that was really impactful because here in Denver, the, the Broncos are king. So, so many people came and, and for these guys to share really personal messages uh, about their lives, about growing up as black men and, and things that they've been through. It, it's really empowering. And what's interesting about Vic Fangio is, and this is in no way defending him. So he is like, I always joke, he just, all he cares about is football literally nothing else. So this is a guy that when he looks at football, all he sees is X's and O's. He doesn't see people. He doesn't see color. He doesn't see race. He sees football players. That, that's what he sees. He sees X's and O's. But then for him to realize that's part of the problem though, you know, I understand that you are just an all football all the time guy, but it's bigger than that. And that's part of the problem. You can't live in that bubble. So for him to step out of that bubble, to realize it, to acknowledge it, and then, you know, to be at the march, for a guy like that, it's a little step, but, you know, it's progress. And I think it's like everyone has their own journey. And so it's just been good to see all of those guys really open their eyes and ask to, to learn more. You know, I'm the same way. Teach me more. Let me, know, like, teach me everything. Yeah, Keenan beat me to the punch, but I'll ask my version of the question anyway. Of course, following you on social media, uh, you mentioned the Broncos play, players rally following the, the murder of George Floyd. Uh, Von Miller w was speaking. I believe Philip Lindsay, the running back, was there as well. And a few other players were, were there to help assist them. What was your personal feelings like uh, being uh, involved with the uh, Denver Broncos uh, organization before you took the job at CBS4 in Denver? What was your personal feelings like the players who stepping up to the forefront and um, putting actions behind it or trying to lead a community towards change? You know, I, I absolutely love it. I, the, the NFL, it's always been interesting because I think it's like we talked about how the NBA is the most progressive. I think the NFL has always been the one where we, everyone plays by the rules, players, media, staff you play by the rules and if you don't play by the rules you get replaced right there there was never a lot of questioning um even when you look at the nfl and the nfl players association how much power the nfl holds over the pa compared to the nba uh, or the mlb you look at some of these other leagues and this i have got to say is the first time i've really seen nfl executives from the top actually acknowledge that 
that this is wrong and actually acknowledge that even though perhaps we have not been perpetuating the situation, we've been ignoring it, which is, you know, just, just as much, uh, just as bad. And so to see that how at that, like at the Broncos rally, uh, Broncos CEO, Joe Ellis was there, you know, a, a lot of the front office was there, all of them really, and it was, so it was designated as a players rally. So it wasn't an official team event. So no one had to come and to see how many people from the front office and from the marketing department and sales and everyone came to support um, was, it really was the first time I've seen, I feel like the NFL and NFL teams really making a push for, for social justice. I mean, we all know what happened back with Colin Kaepernick and how he essentially, you know, got blackballed after that and had to see how, I was unsure. I was unsure if this movement would carry into the NFL or if it was going to be like that situation all over again. And so to see that the NFL has really embraced it. And to me, at least, I like to look at the positives and believe that they are looking to educate and learn and understanding that most of their players are black. And so giving them that respect that they have so long uh, deserved is just great. And I hope that the NFL carries it through the season because we know how powerful the NFL is. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, the NFL draft, which was on zoom got, I mean, record, record views, right? It was absurd. So the NFL gets so many eyeballs. I just think they have such a huge responsibility to their players, to their staff. There's still a lot of work to be done to talk about, you know, the lack of diversity in coaches, but at least it is at the forefront finally, and it's, and it's not going away. You know, people are actually continuing to address it and to see, you know, players feel empowered that they can stand up for what they believe in and what is right. It has been very cool because I feel like the NFL has stifled a lot of that for so long. So to see that they are letting the players speak their minds is, is, is great, and I, and I hope it continues. Okay, so let's talk about stuff that, well, on the court, on the field, you know, or, tr- or try to anyway, at least, because you're seeing, what has the last few months been like for you now? Like you say, you've been doing a little more hard news and with this, with not only the social justice, but also the pandemic going on. What have you been able, you know, how, how are the teams, you know, in Colorado, especially, how are they kind of adjusting through all this? Because they haven't been able to play, they haven't been able to train until recently. What has that been like for them? Oh, man. It's been weird. And it has been weird for us. I mean, we're so used to, you know, I have, it's almost a, a schedule. Every Wednesday I go to Broncos. Every Thursday I go to Broncos. On Fridays I go to Nuggets. You know, it's, and it's like we normally just have this routine, this well-oiled machine where we're just all over the place. So it's been very weird for us communicating with these guys only via Zoom, um, which has been super strange. It feels, it just, it doesn't feel... It certainly doesn't feel normal. I guess it's not normal. Um, But, you know, here with the Nuggets, we didn't, in basketball, we didn't really get much chance to to see them at all because they had, when they had that couple weeks where they could practice here, they actually had quite a few players test positive for coronavirus, so they had to shut down their facility. They just got all their players in the bubble, I mean, a week or two within the last week. So with them, it's, it's been, we really have had, not a lot, uh, like kind of knowing what's going on with them. But then since they've gotten in the bubble, we've, we've gotten to, again, talk to them, talk to them via Zoom. And everyone has kind of said, you know, the same thing. I think they're making the most of it. They're so happy to be playing 
sports again. Like these guys are guys for their whole lives. They grew up doing this thing. This was a constant in their life, whether that was basketball or hockey or football. Uh, and then it just got the rug just got pulled out from under them. Um, and so I think what I've noticed is all of these guys have come back with just this appreciation that they're just excited to be playing ball again, that this is weird. It's weird with no fans, but with everything going on to be able to one play the game they love again, it, you can just see these guys are just so excited. Uh, but the other thing too, is I think, and this is why, this is why I got into sports. This is why I love sports is that I think people need sports. And I think that the players understand just how much sports can mean to a community and how much it can galvanize a community. And so I think that they all just are right now just so happy to be back, be playing and, and just trying to make the most of it because it's, it's strange, but you know, we're getting there. Yeah. Speaking of adjustments, as you just mentioned, Romy, covering sports in the Denver area, I followed you uh, as always on social media. You were covering since you know hockey's back now you know I got my black hawk shirt on on you go you covered the Colorado Avalanche a couple of weeks ago when they were allowed to practice uh before they uh, flew out to Edmonton uh, give us uh the behind the scenes of what did you have to go through as far as protocol uh, and just things along that line to to cover those practices uh, yeah how many times did you have to get tested or how, take us through that process so it's every day you have to, normally we have season long media credentials, but all of those have been wiped out. So now you have to apply for a credential for every day that you want to go, no matter what, which sport you want to go to, uh, then they, then they approve it. And then when you get there, um, there's, you have to wait in a pretty, pretty long line for there just being, you know, how many media people there are. They've limited the amount of media people um, allowed in now. And when you go in, you have to, take a temperature, um, take a temperature screening, take a temperature test. You have to take a, fill out a questionnaire with, you know, answering all the questions about um, the coronavirus, the coronavirus questions. And um, then, you know, if you pass the temperature screening, you know, there's hand sanitizer everywhere. You do that. Then you have to sign a waiver to say, you know, not responsible for this, that, or the other. And then once inside, um, the, the, it was just what was interesting was everything was very, very spread out. So normally, especially, you know, us media folk, we're like used to just kind of being sardined, canned in somewhere and we're all smushed together. Mm -hmm. and, and so seeing everyone placed in different places of the arena was super bizarre because we're just never, I'm never used to like having, having that much space, <laughs> I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but, and it is, you know, and they're very strict with protocol, wearing masks and everything. And you feel, I understand why the players say they feel the safest in, you know, their arenas, in their stadiums, because the protocols are pinned down and they are very strict and everyone has to follow the protocols. doesn't matter who comes in the building. So within the buildings, I would say these teams have done an excellent job of keeping the players safe, keeping anyone who's coming in safe and, um, ensuring. I haven't heard of anyone yet who's had a temperature too high to go in there, but they tell you your temperature, then you have to write it down um, and sign off on it. And so it's just everything is just much more separate and specific procedural. And I, I mean, I got to say all of these teams for not knowing how to approach this have really done an, an excellent job.
Yeah, especially with, like you said, with all the protocols and I'm sure what you guys go through having to get your temperature checks and everything else. And I know it's been very, you know, weird for all of you because we've had various media people on and they, they say it's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting experience having to go through all that, you know, just to get into the arena, into the stadium, the practice facilities. Right. Just to talk about a little practice hockey is like, wow, or, or baseball, you know, uh, in the, it was interesting in Coors Field, they have actually, so when you go in there, there's, um, they have like little X's marked where, where the photogs can and cannot stand even to that point where if you have to stand on, on the mark, you know, and then the next guy has to be on a mark six feet away from you and you can't really, you know, go in between and they have a, a security guy checking, making sure. So they have been really strict and, and it's wild, but it also to me shows that it's a pretty incredible feat that we actually are playing sports again, because when you go in there, you realize there's, there's so much uncertainty. I mean, we know that, you know, with everything that's going on, but you see how careful they are and that it's just, it's, the fact that they can make this work and that they can, that baseball is still playing, even though the Marlins are having this outbreak, it's making sports happen right now is not an easy thing. And so kind of being a part of that, you realize how difficult it is, how incredible of a, a feat it is that they're actually making this happen right now. Romy Bean of CBS4 Denver joining us right now on Second City Sports Zoom style. Uh, let's stick with baseball, Romy, since you brought it up. Of course, as of this broadcast, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers home opener uh, versus the St. Louis Cardinals has been postponed due to mm-hmm. a couple of members of the St. Louis Cardinals uh, um, uh, organization tested positive for coronavirus. Of course, there are a few teams that have this weekend off, including the Yankees, Toronto Blue Jays, um, Philadelphia Phillies, and, the, of course, the Miami Marlins. Uh, of course, earlier this week, as you mentioned, Romy, uh, at Mar- the Marlins um, players and coaches, the number's up to 19, as we currently speak, mm-hmm. of, of, of people in that uh, unit uh, tested positive for coronavirus. Of course, all these hot take shows uh, uh, on Monday and Tuesday, they were panicking, talking about baseball should cancel the season. Look what, what the NBA did back in March and he was just losing their minds. People forget that when the NBA did it, no one knew anything about this virus uh, a few months ago. We know so much more now. There's still so much more to learn, but we know a whole lot more now than we did back then. I want to ask you, do you think that baseball will just power through this and, and finish this season? I think they're going to try. You know, I, um, I actually interviewed Rockies general manager Jeff Breidich yesterday, and I asked him, do you think we can get through a 60-game season? And he said, I hope so. And he said, uh, actually, kind of what you said, he said, it depends who you ask, because some people you ask, they say, absolutely not, let's just shut it down. Other people say, no, we got to push all, you know, push on through, push on through. But the big thing is they're, they're going to try. They are hoping uh, to do this. And a big thing is, which he said, is it's going to come down to the maturity and the self-control of players and staff and everyone in the organization that every time you leave that stadium, you have to be so careful. And you know what? That's asking a lot. That's asking a lot of anybody. But asking, you know, 23-year-old athletes to not go out, to not social, that's asking a lot, right? So you are really giving these guys, it's already a huge responsibility so much more, right? You know, and um, John Elway actually was talking about the other day how 
normally, you know, the guys leave the facility, you have the day off, for example, in football, you know, you get Tuesday off, whatever. And that's for guys to get away and go do their own thing and, you know, do whatever they want around town. They can't do that anymore. And that that's really asking a lot. That's asking, you know, a lot of really young people to say, hey, you can't do any of that. And it's and it's up to you. We're not monitoring you when you're out of the facility. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's up to you. So I think that's that's a huge ask, you know. And the other thing, too, is you don't what we something we really don't know about this virus a lot of times is how people get it there's all there's people who are asymptomatic you know so it's you may just go people be in contact with someone and and have no idea right and then you come back into the building and we've got an outbreak so there's just so many unknowns and i think that's why the nba and that's why the nhl i will get through the rest of the season because the bubble works but with baseball and with football you can't you can't do a bubble and if you can't do a bubble, it's just, I don't think that you can ever be 100% certain that you're going to get through the season because, it, because of all the outside factors. It's all the things you can't control when everyone leaves the building. And it, you know what? It's not even them. What if, if they go to the gas station to get some candy and, you know, some guys in there not wearing a mask and, you know, it, it could come from anything. And so that, that's difficult when you, there's only so much you can control. And so that's why I think with baseball and football is, we just, we don't know. We have to see as it goes. Do you think that, do you think it'll be roaming the sidelines at, you know, with the Broncos this season? Because we've asked various other people who cover mm -hmm. NFL teams. I'll ask you, do you think it'll be roaming the sidelines this season with the Broncos? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, we have, so for a training camp, the rules um, are, it's going to be totally different. There's obviously no fans. And then there's only going to be a certain amount of, of uh, media allowed in each day. Everything will be conducted, interviews via Zoom. So we won't actually be allowed in the actual media room. We'll be So at the Broncos, they have this like kind of hill where the fans usually sit. So that's, that's where we'll be. Now, as far as regular season, they even said they don't know. But I imagine that the sidelines are going to be very limited. Um, I imagine that they're going to try and – um, keep as, as few people as possible. Um, we normally we travel. There's a we're pretty sure we're not traveling this year to Broncos away games. Um, for well, we don't even know the NFL doesn't even hasn't really even set protocol for visiting media. But again, it's going to be very everything's going to be very limited. So I don't know. I am hoping. I am hoping that we get to be in the stadium for the games. But I have no idea. And sticking with the NFL for just a moment, of course, the, the other big news coming from the Shield this week has been a, a number of players, uh, high-profile players that have opted out so far for this season. Of course, locally here in Chicago, defensive tackle Eddie Goldman has opted out. The New England Patriots have quite a few players that opted out, including new father Dante Hightower and Patrick Chung has opted out. Marquise Goodwin, the former 49ers wide receiver, now with the Philadelphia Eagles, have opted out. I want to ask you, Roman, do you think that this list will grow on as training camp goes on, or or do you think that it won't be that many? I just want to put this disclaimer out there. Uh, the, the players who have already opted out, they can opt back in if they choose to. So I'll ask you, Roman, do you think that that list will continue to grow, and especially with the more popular players that have opted out for this upcoming season? I mean, I, I think the list was bigger than we all expected. Uh, uh, like you said, a lot of high-profile players. 
Uh, And I think the NFL wasn't even expecting a lot of players to opt out. So there was an initial, a bigger opt out than than they expected. Um, And I think all of so far, I mean, just about everyone, there's been either their high risk or they have someone in their family here in Denver, Kyle Pecco opted out. Um, His wife just recovered from cancer. So um, she's finally cancer free, but she's, you know, um, obviously very high risk. So he, he opted out. He's the only one um, from the Broncos so far that has opted out. But um, I think that, I don't know, I don't know if the list is, is going to grow because I think, I think that it's such a big decision to say, I'm either going to play or not play a full season, Um, especially in a league where, you know, call it not for long for a reason. So these guys have really, really important and valid reasons for opting out. I I don't think that people are just going to opt out you know, for, oh, I don't feel like playing kind of a thing. I think it's that everyone, like I I asked Kyle Pecco about it and he said it was one of the hardest decisions he's ever had to make. You know, he's always made a decision about where to play, but never if I'm going to play. But in the best interest of his family, he said that, you know, that made it him feel comforted about it and he knew it was the right decision. So I think that, I don't think it's going to, the list is going to grow exponentially more because I think it's, I think maybe it will grow a little bit more though, because I think it's such a, it's such a big decision for these guys. So um, I think the ones that have like already come out and made that decision, they've known and they've really thought about it. And so I think a lot of the guys that haven't are going to, I think probably stick with it, but you know, who knows if it gets, if they have a crazy outbreak on their team, maybe that changes everything. Do you think they play a full season? Because we've heard people say that maybe they'll just do divisional games and maybe a couple interconference games and like stay within the region. So, do you expect them to play a full sixteen? Man, I don't know. I hope so. But I mean, even the way the schedules are structured this year, they are structured so that they could get rid of those first few games, um, and it not, and it wouldn't really affect divisional standings for a lot of teams. So they have structured it. You know, the second half of the season, I think seven of, like, the Broncos' last eight games are division games. They've, they've, you know, made it very bottom-heavy in that way, too, in case that there has to be, you know, they have to delay the start. But I think they're going to try everything they can. But, again, I just – with the NFL, it's just so hard when you're not in a bubble and and you're flying and you're traveling and you're in hotels with other people. You know, there's just so many unknowns, so many factors you can't control – that I think if we can get through a full season, that would be incredible. But I don't know. I mean, we're not that far away from flu season, right? That's going to come up, and then, and then that throws a whole other wrench in things. Um, so fall is going to be interesting. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with college football either. I think, I think thing, everything is going to get started, but how long it will go, I don't know. And speaking of college football, let's go to that subject right now. Of course, breaking as of this podcast, uh, the ACC and the SEC, as I call it, the Alabama Conference, they have decided to go to a conference-only schedule. They'll start their season on September 26th. As we talked about before, Lakina, uh, after the Big Ten announced first that they will go to a conference-only schedule uh, for this season, everybody else in the Power Five Conference will fall in line. And it looks like that's happening right now. I know, Roma, you out there in um, Pac-12 slash Big 12 country, and the Pac-12 won't make it this uh, – not the Pac-12, uh, the Big 12 won't announce anything un- until this coming Monday. So 
what do you see for the outlook of college football for this year? It, it clearly is not going to start on time on August 29th. It's going to start in mid to late September. Do you see college football um, uh, finishing, especially with the cases that we've heard throughout these players throughout the, uh, throughout the country over, this, over the summer? Well, uh, you know, what is so interesting, and, and so the Colorado School of Mines, is, they're in a Division II conference, um, but we spoke with the, their head coach uh, just the other day, and he made a really interesting point. He said, I'm more worried about the general student body than I am my players. He said, because with our players, we have protocol in place. If you are even the slightest bit sick, we've told them, don't come in, go to our trainers, get tested, you know, and there's, uh, they've laid out all these rules of, you know, you can't, I know it's tough, you're in college, but no, don't go out to parties, don't, you can't do this, that, this, that, X, Y, and Z, um, and they have a lot of, you know, strict testing in place and everything, he said, but I think when the general population of students gets back here, that's going to be a huge X factor, because, you know, as a student, you may wake up and think, oh, I don't feel that well, whatever, I'll still go to class, you go to class, and then you may in fact end up infecting everyone and you got a couple players from the football team in that class. But so once he said that, I thought, gosh, that is really interesting because once again, you're leaving it up to, to young um, 19, 20, 22 year olds to make these really, really mature decisions, you know, and make these, which is, it's not easy, especially at that time of your life. But they're kind of depending on an entire student body to just continue to make the right choices. And so I think as a, if I was a football coach, I, I would be nervous about that because the, so much is out of your control. Even if your players toe the line exactly, you know, maybe a player's girlfriend doesn't, you know, and there's, there's so many X factors that it could just be anything. But I, I think that the one thing I have seen with coaches and with athletes is, they are, they want to play. They want to play so badly. They've, all of them have had their sport taken away from them and they're so dedicated. They'll do anything to be able to play. So I think when it comes to the athletes, we, we can rely on them to, to be responsible and do the right thing. But again, there's just so many X factors, right? You can't control an entire population of college students and, and tell them what to do. So you're just hoping that everyone makes the right choices. <laughs> Look what happened at Rutgers, though. That's all I'm gonna. I'm just gonna leave it at that. But uh, Romy, look, Romy, yeah, look, 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 you're a CU grad. Um, there have been, there were some even before all this, all this stuff started happening with with COVID and everything else. They've had coaching, you know, changes. You know, Mel Tucker's now in Michigan mm -hmm. State. Now they got Carl, Carl DeRoe taking over. I know there have been like some things going on among the team, and then there was some miscommunication. So. What, 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 what was that like? I mean, because I know there was like for people who, who follow college football, they people know, remember what happened over at Colorado earlier this year. Yeah, that was, you just call it getting Mel Tucker now. That's what we, that's what we much, call yeah. it over here now. But, <laughs> but it, that whole thing was, was wild. You know, the craziest part, you guys, is the night before he left, he was at a donor meeting. He was at a donor yep. dinner. And he was telling all of them he's not going anywhere, you know, and he tweeted that thing out. I mean, yep. like, where is your PR guy, dude? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I, gosh, and that was the biggest thing. He just mishandled that so badly. And for, as a CU grad and someone who covers CU, that was such a punch in the gut for CU because 
see you like has been for so long you're trying to establish themselves there's there's been years where they have so much talent i mean lavisca chenault's unbelievable okay. but it's just they can never put the whole thing together and honestly a lot of that has to do with with the money you know that you to look at these sec schools get and the big 12 school gets and um you know the pac-12 they don't bring in as much and even within the pac-12 there's usc there's stanford that right there's all these other schools so cu is always trying to take that next step up and when mel tucker came in it really felt like okay okay like this it felt like this was gonna you know take the program to the next level so when he just left like that it was such a punch in the gut to all the buffs fans who it kind of made them feel like oh, we're still gonna end up in the middle of the pack because it just felt like you know, there is always a bigger, brighter opportunity out there. There is a bigger school, you know, to, to go to. And I think that, yeah, so it's just, it was, it was really hard, honestly. Like, Buff fans were de devastated, just devastated about it. And then with Carl Durrell coming in, I mean, I give him props for coming in in the worst possible situation. I mean, yep. he's barely had any time with his players. And so this year, it's, I mean, I don't, I'm not expecting anything from, from CU because they've had no summer practices. And, and I don't put that on Carl Durrell at all. Be, that's because of the situation. I mean, they don't really know him. He doesn't know them. There's all these new incoming guys. They don't know each other. So to expect them to play like a cohesive unit is just asking, I feel like, way too much. So I, personally, I'm not really expecting anything from CU. But I'm hoping that they do well because, you know, it felt like they just got kicked to the curb when, when Mel Tucker left. So it would be so great if, if Carl Durrell could somehow pull something out of this, this season. But he's in a tough spot, man, because everyone's kind of looking at him like, eh, whatever, Mel Tucker left, whatever. So uh, in that way, I'm rooting for him even a little more, you know, to prove everybody wrong. Before we have a few moments left with you, Romy, before we end this interview with something fun, I want to ask you a follow-up question on the NBA Listening to Kenny, the Jeff Smith uh, analyst for, for TNT, uh, he was on the national sports radio show a few weeks ago, and he said that you may see a surprise team or two uh, shock the world as, as far as the, this restart for the NBA. And one of the teams that he mentioned was the Denver Nuggets. Of course, you have Paul Millsap, who's in quarantine right now because he missed the coronavirus test. And you have um, Nikolai Jokic, uh, a.k.a. the Joker. Um, he's with the team now, but... He's lost a lot of weight, and he had COVID-19 as well. Uh, assuming that everybody's back healthy, which they are now, do you give a Denver Nuggets a shot to make a surprise run in this restart during the playoffs? You know, I do. I think the one, one, the one thing the Nuggets have, <clears throat> excuse me, have going for them that a lot of other teams don't is continuity. The same unit, really core unit, has been together for three, four years now. So these guys know each other so well that it takes them no time at all to knock off that rust that chemistry is there which a lot of teams are working on after having four and a half months off so I think in that respect if the Nuggets can you know play they call it playing Nuggets ball you know if they can play their basketball fast a lot of passing I think they can make a surprise but and people in Denver aren't going to be happy about this but when you've got LeBron and the Lakers and Kawhi and the Clippers I just don't know how you get past either of them you know I think the Nuggets are incredibly talented but I don't know how anyone gets past those two LA teams I don't and just for the record, on this show, I've been a big Jamal Murray fan for the past two seasons. I know you, you struggled this year, and especially before the 
pause to this season. I thought he should have been an all-star last year, but I just wanted to say for the record to you that I really be, uh, he, I'm really a big fan of him. Like, he doesn't, uh, he's starting to get a little bit of a props now, but he wasn't uh, up until the end of last year and during the uh, playoff run. No, totally. I feel like him and Joker, like Joker's Batman and he's Robin. Yeah, they're yeah. such a good team and they play and they are incredible when they play, you know, two man ball together, but Jokic just gets kind of all the credit. He, so I totally agree. Jamal Murray definitely doesn't get the credit. He's an incredible player and, and he's a very smart, he's a really high basketball IQ, but he is like the, the sidekick, even though he's a lot yeah. more than that. So I like that you guys see that too. That's awesome. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Our buddy Jason is a big proponent of Denver's too. So he, you know, the, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Nuggets, you know, somehow, you know, advance. I mean, they've got the talent and they've got the coaching to do it. So we'll see. Um, one more from, from me. Uh, your background is very interesting because, as, as Sid alluded to, and I heard an interview that you did earlier this week that you were a Broncos cheerleader before you became a broadcaster. You actually majored in business in college. So share a little bit about your journey to CBS Denver. Yeah, it's um, unusual to, to say the least, but I, when I was, as a Broncos cheerleader, we got, you know, some opportunities to, to work in the media and you started to get to know, you know, people in the media and um, there was a lot of, it's funny because, um, and I was like, on Broncos, on the cheerleading team, there's, it's a, it's an amazing collection of women and kind of everyone has different skills. Not a lot of them love public speaking. Um, and I was one of those that, that did, I loved it. I craved it. And so because of that, I got a lot of opportunities to go on shows and to, to meet people in the business, but, um, <clears throat> nothing really came to fruition. My first time I was a cheerleader for seven years. So it was really only the last two years that things really started happening. And I started, realizing how much I wanted to explore that industry more than just going on and you know in my outfit and and talking for five minutes and, and being off so um, I, I was really proactive about it and I got into radio first and um, I spent you know doing <clears throat> all sorts of jobs in, in radio and I uh, didn't get paid for a, for a while I was working three jobs but it was totally worth it because as one thing folded into another into another it all kind of um, came together and my opportunity at CBS actually came because I was on the radio and um, the the news director had actually just been listening to the radio and so I started you know talking with him and then my process at CBS was I would say in essence it was like a year-long audition where I, I covered Broncos but only in the mornings and um, I was part-time and then after a year of, of doing that I it, they um, you know I, I applied for a a full-time job. So everything has been just a weird, a weird process, a weird way of getting there. Um, but also proof that, you know, if you push it and you, you're willing to learn, I've learned so, so much in the past, I don't know, five years that I don't even, I can't even tell you where I started, <laughs> but you know, if you just keep pushing, there's something there. Well, and this fun interview with a fun question, uh, there's a, Kind of will be out of you, Lee, but I know you can handle it, correct? Yeah. All right. I'll give you one virtual ticket to go back in time out of these four uh, sporting events from the past. Which one would you choose? Are you ready? Am I back in time, like, any at any point? Yeah, I'll give you the four choices, though. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, first choice. 
Michael Jordan's last game is the Chicago Bulls, Bulls versus Jazz, 1998, game six, Jordan's last shot. Number two, the Denver Broncos back-to-back Super Bowls with John Elway and Terrell Davis, 97-98. Number three, Jackie Robinson, opening day, 1947. Or number four, Venus and Serena, a women's tennis final. If you can go back in time, I'll give you one ticket, which one of those of four sporting events from the past would you choose to go to? Oh, my gosh, that's so hard. I mean, my heart as a Broncos fan wants to go to the back-to-backs. But you know what? I'm going to go with Jackie Robinson. That would be unbelievable. And when you see and you hear everything that, that he went through and the road he paved for athletes, it's unbelievable. To be able to actually go back and see him on opening day would be priceless. I would totally take that ticket. You actually are, are the third person um, yep. the answer to really? Jackie Robinson. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So congratulations. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Is a, uh, one more quick request before we spring you. Uh, on social media, you, uh, you are known to give these uh, impressionable uh, facial expressions, hashtag Romy face. Before you let us go, I know for those listening exclusively can't see it, but we'll put it up on our social media pages later. Can you give us one classic Romy face before you leave us? Oh, man. I just, you know, I was like, just whatever comes to mind. <laughs> I, make, I make a lot of faces. <laughs> the more oh face, the better. <laughs> exactly. All right. That was Romy Bean of CBS4 Denver, a friend of the show. She covers the Broncos, the Nuggets, and the Avalanche for that station. Romy, where can people find you on social media uh, once again? You can find me on Twitter, Romy underscore Bean, uh, and on Instagram, at Romy Bean. And uh, I hope you'll connect with me over there. Guys, thanks so much for having me on. It's so great to talk to you guys. You guys are the best. Thank you, Romy. Oh, you Thank are. You. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time, and we'll do this again very soon. You keep up the great work, okay? Sounds hey. great. Talk thanks. to you guys soon. Thanks, Romy. Stay right, safe. Romy. You too. Bye, guys. Bye. All right. All right. That was you know, fun. Yes, that was fun, and that's what we do here on Second TV Sports Zoom Sound. We bring you on the people that you want to hear from and uh, provide you and provide us with a lot of content. Romy being, you, now you know why she's uh, the friend of the show. She brings uh, great analysis, great insight, so she's a whole lot of fun, too. Uh, I, I have a, another great idea. You want to hear it, Lakina? Lay it late on me. Uh, let's take a 20-second timeout. We wrap up segment number one. Segment number two, we have Matt Pack of NBC Sports Chicago's Bulls Outsiders. He was actually in our studio back in February doing All-Star Weekend here in Chicago. He's going to hop on with us to talk Bulls, NBA, and a whole lot more. I'm ready to take a 20-second time on because when we come back, he's going to lay it on us, and we're going to lay it on him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No pun intended. No, 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 not literally. Not literally, but uh, yeah. Right, right, right. Keep it clean for the kids. Yeah, exactly. But then, you know, he can, he'll be able to curse here too. So, you know, we'll, we'll just let him. I'm sure he'll have a lot. Not too of, much. Not yeah, too not much. Too okay. Much, right. This is not a deaf comedy jam for back in the day. No, but, uh, no, no. That's true. We'll that's true. Things fly. <laughs> no, no, no. No, well, to, to, to a degree, to a degree. But yeah, so uh, exactly. we're going to take, take a little breather. And yeah, so we're going to be back with Matt Pick from Bulls Insiders. Here on Second City Sports Zoom Style. Zoom Style! All right. Welcome back to Second City Sports Segment 2, Zoom Style. Zoom Style Part 2. <laughs> Along with Lakina McGee, I am Cindy Brown. 
And to kick off segment number two of this podcast for this week, we have friend of the show, Mr. Matt Peck. He's from Bulls Outsiders. You can watch it on NBC Sports Chicago. But not currently because the Bulls are not part of, uh, of this 22-team playoff down the bubble in Orlando. Matt, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm doing all right, Sid. Keenan, thanks for having me, guys. Nice to talk with you again. Absolutely. Yeah. Where can people follow you, follow you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bulls underscore Peck. Uh, and you can follow our, our Bulls, uh, Locked on Bulls podcast at Locked on Bulls. Uh, and I'm also on Instagram at Meet Peck, M-E-A-T-P-E-C-K. Nice. Uh, all right. Uh, of course, we had you on the show before down in our studios uh, in downtown Chicago doing All-Star Weekend. Uh, it was a great time. Uh, of course, things have changed a lot since then. Uh, well, we'll stick to the basketball part of it. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll save the Bulls until later, but our top story for this week, we'll start it with the NBA. Uh, they returned to action on Thursday night. We had two big games. It was the Utah Jazz and the New Orleans Pelicans, followed by the Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Clippers. Of course, before both those games, all the players, coaches, and the referees kneeled uh, during the national anthem to protest the murder of George Floyd and to promote uh, racial uh, justice. Matt, uh, it looks like the players and everybody in the NBA, we all know it's a progressive league, but it looks like they, we are starting to see even more uh, the, the whole league putting, the, uh, putting their actions behind their words. What are your thoughts about it? Yeah, I thought the whole evening was really well presented. Uh, you know, not just the players with uh, the phrases on the backs of their jerseys and the Black Lives Matter on the court and the kneeling for the anthem, but also some of the the production stuff that the NBA and TNT work together to produce to kind of like be like the usually the, the hype stuff that you get in the lead in of the production that night. It was focused on those those movements that the players are very passionate about. As you said, the NBA has always been one of the more progressive leagues here. Uh, in the USA and across the world. So we, I think we were all expecting them to take big steps here. And it, I think it also uh, proved that when the Players Association was talking with the league about this concept of a bubble and whether or not they would want to do this and agree to it, giving them a platform to really push that message was a very vital part to the players agreeing to do this because – Uh, a lot of them were fairly wondering, is this the ball right now? Um, and, and maybe losing that message. But I think that they found a, a proper way to, to keep that message going and, and uh, putting the, the imprint of that message all over this, this NBA bubble experience. Also, like the virtual fans aspect, I believe that was a program that I believe they made it with Microsoft where those are real fans. It's just, I think it's similar to what the NFL drafted with like having virtual fans. What did you guys think of that? Because I thought it was kind of cool. I know you thought it was a little weird, Sid, but Matt, what did you think about that? <laughs> I thought it was cool. I mean, it, it's certainly different than, than having the, the normal uh, vibe that we're used to of actual human beings standing shoulder to shoulder in an NBA arena. Uh, but I think it's a cool way for fans, especially the fans of, of the team that's the home game for that game, uh, feeling like they're still a part of it. Um, obviously, it just looks really strange. It's sort of like a two-dimensional wall of, yeah. of, of screens of, and, and fans. Uh, and it's, it's an interesting balance of that and then also the audio that they're pumping in, like the, you know, the artificial crowd noise. Um, I, I'm sure it's probably strange for the players to get used to as well. Um, 
it's it's the best, you know, it, it's the best and, and making the best of a bad situation, I think, because I think, you know, the, the Players Association just yesterday was talking about preparing for another bubble or certainly at least no more fans in the stands in the, the following season. So this is something that we might have to get used to for a while. There's a vaccine for this for this virus. I want to uh, get to the action on the court, man. Of course, both games were competitive. Uh, it came down to uh, the, uh, the last uh, possession for both games. Uh, it seemed, well, well, for I'll just you know give my own personal view of it. It, it seemed like uh, it took a while for for both teams. I'm talking about the Jazz and the Pelicans, along with the Clippers and the Lakers, to get going, but. After the second quarter and going into the second half, it seems like a lot of uh, action started to pick up. We got back to some normalcy in terms of the uh, pace of play uh, for both those games. What was your thoughts about that? Yeah, Matt is back with us now. And uh, we, uh, we were uh, talking about the, uh, the pace of play to both, uh, both of the games last night. And uh, I wanted to ask Matt, can you hear us? Yeah, I got you guys. Okay. Uh, I was talking about uh, asking you the, the question originally about the pace of play it, uh, for both of those games that we watched last night. It took a while for the players to get going, but after the second quarter and going into the second half, it looks like the pace of play started to pick up. What were your thoughts about that? I think we, we were expecting some sloppy stuff to begin. Uh, we, we, you know, I don't know if you guys watched uh, the exhibition games last week. I watched a fair amount of them, and, and it was pretty sloppy basketball. Uh, I think that was to be expected. These guys really had – and then they get to the bubble and they have like a week of practice to try and get, get the rust off. So I think it was to be expected. But you even saw in the exhibition games, somebody on Twitter broke down, uh, you know, offensive efficiency, these full percentages like that, offensive rating. And in the first cluster of games, it, were, it was really bad. And then it got progressively better in the middle exhibition games and the latter exhibition games. So I think you're going to see them knock off this rust fairly quickly. These are the best basketball players in the world. And – uh, the the Pelicans Jazz game really had a very sloppy first quarter, and I was thinking to myself like, uh oh, this might get pretty ugly. <laughs> but then by the time you get to the the fourth quarter of the second game of the of the doubleheader, like the fourth quarter of Lakers Clippers felt like a playoff game to me. You yeah. know, even without the fans in the stands, it like it had that level of intensity. So I think we're going to get there fairly quickly. Yeah, and those, these are seasoned athletes. The basketball players are so I don't. It's going to take a while, and I'm sure you know the games that are coming on tonight. I'm sure it's going to take them a minute because. Remember, these guys haven't played like competitive basketball in what, like four months almost, a little over four months. Yeah. So it, it's going to take them a minute to kind of get back into shape. You know, I'm sure listen, a lot of these guys kept themselves in shape. So I'm thinking, look, I'm sure, you know, it'll be rusty for a bit, but I'm sure everything will be fine. Yeah, I, I think things will be fine too, Lakina. I, I noticed, especially in that first game between the Jazz and the Pelicans. Uh, that, like like Matt said, it, it was a little bit sloppy, but uh, especially New Orleans, you know, Brandon Ingram started shooting threes, and the pace started to pick up, and uh, Lonzo, Lonzo Ball was doing his thing, and, and Zion really picked it up. You, you saw on a couple of the alley plays that uh, he had, uh, he really, really looked good. So I, I think in terms of play, I'm with Matt that it will pick up here quickly, probably quicker than what we expect, but uh, it, it's going to take some time again, but uh, I, I think, uh, as I always said, the play on the court will be fine. It's just like the storylines is going to be what happens away away from the court. Now, bringing up uh, the uh, doubleheader tonight on ESPN, we have Houston and Dallas, and then Boston, Milwaukee are up first. 
I want to see uh, if, if the pace of play continues uh, from the momentum can carry over from last night into tonight because, uh, like you just said, as we get Matt back on here, hopefully in a couple of minutes, uh, uh, these guys just uh, got down to Orlando, traveled to Orlando about a couple of weeks ago, and, and we've talked about this, uh, the scrimmage games looking for the last yep. week or so, and you, you can see the rust because, as you mentioned, uh, the players have been off for the last three to four months due to this pandemic, so it, it's going to take a while. But I think it's going to uh, uh, it's going to take time. But I think we'll we will see see things turn up quickly than, than normal because the playoffs start in a couple of weeks. We only have eight of these seeding games left before be, before the real playoffs uh, begin. So uh, I, I'm just waiting to see uh, how these teams, especially these veteran teams, pick up uh, pick up their pace of play. It'll be interesting, especially you got we got a couple of afternoon games coming up. We got Orlando and Brooklyn. You got Memphis and Portland. We'll see how Carmelo looks. Phoenix and Washington. I mean, this is going to be very interesting to see how like some of like the teams that are kind of like fighting for a position for those last couple of playoff spots. I mean, We'll see how they play, and I'm looking for. I'm really, we're looking forward to that Houston and Dallas game because I, I think that's going to be one of those games that where we'll see where the excitement is, and we'll see how how Harden and Westbrook looks like he's recovered from the virus. We'll see how he plays. Um, Milwaukee and Boston. I know. I know Milwaukee's got a couple of their guys out, so it's mm-hmm. going to be very interesting to see how they look. You know, being shorthanded. So. These games are going to be very interesting and exciting, so hopefully we'll have Matt back on. I think there might be some issues, might be some issues like with the, with the signal, I guess. Yeah, hopefully we can get him back in, in in a few minutes. Of course, this is what we have to deal with now with, with uh, the technology, but as we always do, we, we keep pushing on, so that's what we're going to do. Can you guys hopefully hear Matt, me? We can hear yeah, you. We, we can hear you okay, Matt. Hey, all right. Yeah, welcome to the age of COVID and Wi-Fi issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we know yeah. that feeling, man. <laughs> We, uh, be, before you uh, uh, before you cut out with us, we were talking about the the pace of play during both of the games from last night: New Orleans, um, Utah, and then the Lakers and the Clippers. Um, um, going back to those uh, to those two games, as I mentioned before, uh, I we know I noticed that uh, the, like you said, the, the the pace of play really picked up in the second half of both those games, and especially during that Lakers Clippers game, it did have a serve a, a certain playoff. I feel to it, especially that that Clippers game. Uh, it was a seven-point game with like five minutes to go. You really saw both those teams started to clamp down uh, during those crucial moments of the game. Yeah, you did. And you also saw them go to their reliable players down the stretch. Uh, you know, Kawhi and Paul George. Paul George hit a couple of really big buckets when the Clippers made that little mini comeback uh, with a few minutes left in the fourth. Uh, you know, Kawhi was, was, you know, doing his thing, getting to the free throw line. Um, and, and they leaned he- – the Lakers leaned heavily on, on LeBron and AD down the stretch. AD hit a couple of big threes himself. Man, it just seems like when a dude that big steps out and is just swishing threes, it's just, like, not fair. I mean, it's just like that was, uh, that was one of the big things that I was thinking when I was watching that game last night. Like, wow, Anthony Davis is just so, so talented. And it made me a little upset that I think he's probably never going to come play for his hometown Bulls. But that's a whole other story <laughs> for a different day. <laughs> Still live in that dream, aren't you, Matt? My, my other issue with the end of that Lakers-Clippers game is that 
LeBron misses the shot and to his credit follows his miss, gets the offensive <laughs> rebound and gets the putback that ends up being the game winning bucket. You know who would have boxed him out and prevented LeBron from getting that bucket? Joe Keem Noah. Where was he? He was on the bench. <laughs> Unacceptable that Joe Keem was not on the floor in those crunch time fourth quarter minutes. That is when Joe Keem thrives, baby. Oh my goodness. It it was good seeing him though on the court last night. It's it's been a couple of years, but that that was sort of you feel a little nostalgia there, you know, him playing. I think he'll contribute a little bit more for the Clippers though, I think. Yeah, well, and who knows when and if the Clippers are going to get Montrez Harrell back. Yep. Uh, you know, he was excused from the bubble for for a person to attend to a personal uh, matter and is still not back with the team. And then when he comes back to the team, of course, we'll have some sort of quarantine phase, depending on the number of days and, and what he was doing outside the bubble. But uh, he, he's a big piece of that team. You know, Harrell and Lou Williams are probably going to cancel each other out in six man of the year votes. But Harrell is such an important piece to what the Clippers do. Um, you know, they got the young center, Avika Zubats, who, who Joakim is sort of, you know, training and, and doing the venture, uh, or veteran mentorship uh, role with, which is great. But if Montrez Harrell is delayed in coming back to the bubble, Joakim could see some, some pretty significant minutes. He, I think he played 10 minutes in their game last night. We'll see where it goes from here. But, yeah, if, if they're missing a piece of that front court, uh, Joakim could end up being a really valuable late-season pickup for them. All right, getting back into the uh, action tonight, Matt, for the rest of the NBA, we'll see a doubleheader on ESPN. First up is Milwaukee and Boston, followed by the uh, – I'm, I'm blanking out here, but can you help me out here? The second, Houston oh, second and Dallas. game is Houston and Dallas. I wanted to uh, get your thoughts, uh, quick predictions on both of those games. Do you think that we'll see the momentum carry from last night's uh, two big games into tonight? Do you think that we'll see the pace of play pick up from – um, for all four of those teams? Um, I, I think you could certainly expect that from, from Rockets Mavericks. I mean, the Dallas Mavericks had a historically great offense this season. Uh, and they just – they have a, a million possessions per game. It's crazy how quickly Dallas plays, uh, especially when, when Luke is out there running, running the offense and doing his thing. And, and, and the Rockets are, you know – Russell Westbrook is a, is a human, you know, firecracker. And – Sometimes Harden will slow things down with his ISO offense, but they're still a very small ball, very, you know, very fast playing team. And when you get two of those high scoring Western conference teams going head to head, you know, you're in for a night where it's, I, you know, what, what's the over on the total score of that Rockets Mavericks game? It's gotta be in like the three hundreds, right? Like there's <laughs> yeah. going to be so many, yeah. so many points scored and so little defense in that game. It's going to be hilarious. I think Celtics bucks might be a bit more of an Eastern conference, you know, typical slug fest. Cause those are two very strong defensive teams. Do you see any team that could probably surprise? Because we we've had you know we have some good friends we do podcasts as well, and they said that maybe don't be surprised if the Wizards become that surprise team. <laughs> so do you see anybody making a big big surprise? We have Romy Bean on from CBS Denver. She says maybe the Nuggets could probably be a surprise team. What say you? Um, I I would rule out the likelihood of the Wizards being that surprise team. I don't see if. If a team um, in the in the East makes a move, I, I think that there's a good chance Orlando can jump past Brooklyn because Brooklyn's only bringing like a quarter of their real roster to the yeah. bubble. Um, and, and Orlando was really playing some quality basketball uh, before the shutdown happened. So I'm curious to see if they can keep that momentum going. I think the Heat are the dark horse team to maybe actually make some moves uh, and, and perhaps even get to the Eastern Conference Finals. I have never believed in the Embiid-Simmons 
Sixers come playoff time. They have yet to prove it. You know, I know they lost that heartbreaker series uh, to Kawhi's Raptors last year. But I just, until they show me something different, uh, I don't have faith in the Sixers, even though people are high on them. The Celtics are quality, but I still think they're a little too young. To me, the East is the Bucks to lose. Um, but the Raptors are such a quality team. I, I, like, if I had a vote, I'd give Nick Nurse Coach of the Year for sure. The fact that they lost Kawhi and still look this good, um, I think they have a shot. And then uh, as far as Western Conference Dark Horse, I, I could see the Nuggets perhaps being that team. Um, I, I am curious to see how quickly Jokic can get back into, you know, midseason form because everybody saw, you know, the, the, the Jokic that returned uh, that looked like he lost a whole lot of weight uh, because we all know that he actually went through COVID himself. Um, and you wonder if that's going to affect his game positively or negatively because you know, he doesn't look like an NBA body. But whatever body he had, that's the body he was used to playing with. So we'll see with that. And I do love the complimentary pieces. Um, Jamal Murray, uh, one, of, one of my favorite young players in the league right now. But does he have it in him to come up with those big playoff moments? Um, I, I think they'll fall short. I, I would be very surprised if we don't get Clippers-Lakers in the conference finals. Matt Peck of NBC Sports Chicago's Bulls Outsiders is joining us this week on Second City Sports Zoom style, along with Lakina McGee. I am Sydney Brown. Matt, let's stay with the NBA going back to the Eastern Conference. I'm with you as far as the Toronto Raptors are concerned. I think they're on the same pace, uh, of, of maybe one or two wins difference from a year ago when they had Kawhi Leonard. Now, my personal pick was the Boston Celtics to make a surprise run in the playoffs out of the East, but I'm warning people now, do not, do not count out the Toronto Raptors. I, I'll, I don't think they'll make it to the finals, but they're going to be a tough out for someone because I don't think it's Milwaukee's uh, conference to lock up because I, Toronto has that special sauce that, that they have something for Milwaukee because of what happened in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Uh, I heard somebody from the Ringer podcast a few months ago, uh, and, and this person said that they compared this Toronto Raptors team to that 93-94 Bulls team the year that Mike retired. Do you agree with that assessment? I can certainly see the the parallel there. You know, we're talking about a team losing its best player, but the overall quality of the roster uh, still being there, and then one of those supporting role players stepping up. Um, and, and I think you could say that about multiple players um, for both that 93-94 team and this, this Toronto Raptors team. Remember, you know, not only was Scotty a top MVP candidate that year, and rightfully so, Horace Grant was an all-star that year. B.J. Armstrong was an all-star that year. Yeah. All of the role players stepped up, and you're seeing something similar here in Toronto uh, in, in the wake of Kawhi's departure. Whether you're talking about a player like, you know, uh, Van Vliet, who has just continued to impress um, – Pascal Siakam, like, you know, we saw his emergence as a star last season. He, he built upon that this season and has kind of become that go-to guy that Kawhi was for them last year. Um, so, so with all these quality pieces the Raptors have and Nick Nurse's coaching ability, th that dude is, I think, the best at throwing so many things at his uh, opposing coach on a nightly basis that it, he can confuse the hell out of his opponent. And the, the Raptors have a lot of flexibility with that roster, and they could do a lot of different things on both ends of the floor. So I agree with you. I, like, to me, the East is still the Bucks to lose, and not having Kawhi to check Giannis is certainly going to be, I think, the biggest challenge for them this time around, assuming that the Bucks and the Raptors meet. 
But I, I would not be shocked at all if we see the Raptors, as you said, put up a real fight and be a very tough out for the Bucks or any other team in the East. Do you think Boston could be perhaps maybe throw a wrench into that that plan? I I'm not I'm not there yet. Uh, maybe it's some of my personal bias. I hate the Celtics. I've always hated the Celtics. I mean, it just comes, <laughs> oh my comes with being a Bulls fan. But look, I mean, Jason Tatum just like exploded, you know, in the middle of the season and finally made that big leap that everyone was expecting him to make when we saw those really positive signs through his first couple of years in the league. Uh, and, and, you know, they have all these other talented young pieces. Uh, I really like Jalen Brown. He's looked pretty good. But I don't know if they collectively have enough experience and enough talent uh, to win those, you know, several best of seven series uh, come playoff time. I, I think they're they're very much so on that upward trajectory to become a, a an annual top threat in the East. But I think they're they're not quite there yet this year. All right, Matt, uh, we're going to make your head hurt just a little bit, not for long, but just, <laughs> but just a little bit as we transition down to... I'll have my head for you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> as we talk about the Chicago Bulls, of course, now you have a new um, head president of basketball operations, and you have a new GM and Mark Eversley. Um, I, I said this throughout the start to people outside of here. Uh, Jim Boylan, uh, which I know a lot of Bulls fans get mad at when I say his name, but uh, he, currently he's still the head coach. It looks like he'll be the head coach moving forward. I said this a lot to people outside of here, that uh, which each day that passes by, he's going to be the head coach moving forward. forward. Do you think that this is the best uh, move for the Bulls organi- organization, or do you think they've taken uh, a step back, at, at step back after taking two steps forward? Well, there, I have a lot of feelings about this issue, um, and I'm, I'm trying to, to keep myself grounded every day when I wake up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I, I wake up every day frustrated. I, I put my feet on the floor as I can't climb out of bed and say, why is Jim Boylan still the head coach of this team? And that's how I start my day and how I've started my day for the last four months. It's, it's difficult. I get it. Bulls fans are frustrated and confused right now. However, Sid, I will push back a little bit on what you just said. I am not convinced that just because we've seen, a, you know, read a couple of things and heard a couple of things in the last week or two from people on the Bulls beat that would suggest, hey, here are potential reasons X, Y, and Z that Jim hasn't been fired yet and might be here for the 2021 season. I'm, I'm not convinced. I still believe that the next time the Bulls play a competitive NBA game, and that might not be until December or January of next year, the next time the Bulls play a competitive game, I still believe Jim Boylan will not be this team's head coach. I think that Arturis is playing things very close to the vest. I think he is aware of the unprecedented uh, situation that we're in right now. There are plenty of quality head coaching candidates that are down in the bubble right now that you can't really make a move on right now. And for those reasons, as well as appeasing Michael and Jerry Reinsdorf, who said, we're not, we're not demanding that you keep Jim upon taking this job, but we would like you to keep an open mind. That's what we heard. I think AK is using this time to his advantage to say, we're having dialogue with Jim Boylan. Hopefully we can get the guys in the gym together and observe some practices with Jim Boylan and then be able to, in as professional of a manner as possible, show Jim Boylan the door. 
The other factor, of course, that, that fans are starting to worry about because we're hearing more about it is, is the financial situation. And the fact that, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf was out there saying last, oh, I'm, I'm going to lose nine, you know, nine figures of revenue between my two teams because of this pandemic. And, you know, Chicagoans who can't pay their rent are saying like, dude, boo freaking who? Forbes just put out their new annual list <laughs> yep. and the Bulls are valued at $3.2 billion. Like, dude, shut up. Um, <laughs> you can't justify keeping Jim Boylan by saying, I'm a billionaire who needs to save a couple million dollars this season. If it's actually about basketball and it's actually about putting AK and Eversley in those authoritative roles and saying, make the hires you want to make, run the team the way you want to run it, there is no reason for Jim Boylan to still be here. None. All right, I did. I only banged my head once. You can't see me, uh, Matt, but I only banged my head once with my uh, puzzle book here. So uh, I'm, 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 you know, I'm leaving it out up there a little bit. But uh, I mean, okay, okay, we'll say, we'll say for argument's sake, if the Bulls finally decide to pull the plug and get and sprung Jim Boylan, who do you think takes over? As far as the next head coach, yeah. Well, so I mean, personally, what I would like to see and maybe the Bulls are, are worried about how it would work transitionally because I, I am ready to be rid of Boylan, just like every other Bulls fan. I'm just trying to have a little bit of patience about it. I don't see the harm in telling the, the ownership, hey, you know, they fired Gar Foreman on day one, and AK said, you know, we have philosophical differences. How is it that you can't do the same thing with Jim, especially after taking all this time to have all these conversations with Jim and they're communicating on a daily basis, say to them, philosophical differences the polite way to say this dude can't coach his way out of a paper bag take Chris Fleming a highly respected assistant coach who you brought in last season and empower him as an interim off-season head coach if you want to give him that title have him run some practices see if he can install a couple of things offensively that he was brought here to do that Jim kind of like messed up when Jim took over training camp with a different offensive system and put Chris Fleming into the eventual pool of candidates for the actual head coaching job. That's the route I would take. If the Bulls think that's too many steps and, and too messy, I, I guess I can understand that. But when it comes to real candidates that I would add to that pool, you know, everybody's talking highly about Ime Udoka. The dude is very talented. He's got a really strong resume so far. Um, Adrian Griffin, a guy that has ties to the Bulls but not too many ties and not too recent of ties that it would feel like just more of the same. So I, I would be certainly hoping that they would bring in both of those guys to interview for the job. AK being a new executive, I'm wondering if he will have the guts to hire a first time coach, or if he would want to take the safe route to hire a guy who already has head coaching experience. Um, personally, I wouldn't mind him going with a first time head coach. If it was someone with a very, uh, impressive resume uh, uh, coming from a, a winning organization. But again, that's something that we'll have to wait and see what happens. Uh, before we move on, Matt, I, I'll throw two more names out there. Uh, Kenny Atkinson from the Nets and David Fitz, uh, who got the boot uh, earlier this season from the Knicks. Do you think one or both of those guys are possible candidates for this Bulls job? Uh, I, I would certainly expect that if he is interested, the Bulls would bring in Atkinson for an interview. Uh, I, I know a lot of people thought that he was kind of, um, you know, unrightfully canned in Brooklyn uh, and that maybe it had something to do with, with Kyrie and KD eventually when they are healthy and coming back saying we'd like to take the, the coaching in a different direction. And when you are that caliber of a star in the NBA today, we know that 
you know, the players can get coaches fired uh, just like that. You know, ask LeBron, how many coaches has he gotten fired? Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I think that, that Atkinson showed some really strong things in his previous job, and I would expect the Bulls to bring him in. Um, I, I wouldn't be, like, over the moon excited with the hire, but I, I would be okay with it. As for David Fisdale, as much as I love the – personality and like post-game podium David Fisdale who is just like endlessly entertaining I don't think he's the right fit for for this team and this organization right now and I think that um like just like basketball wise I think he is a little bit uh dated with his philosophies because he can he can do some really strong things uh on the defensive end but I think his, his teams have really struggled offensively. And I think that, that the fact that he has shown that in multiple different stops is a little concerning to me. Okay, I, will, I don't want to make your head hurt anymore, Matt. So we're going to go, go step away from the court and go right to the, the baseball mound. Um, the Cubs had a nice start, you know, four, four and two right now. They play Pittsburgh. Uh, they, you know, they couldn't play yesterday against Cincy because of the rain. But how do you like the Cubs so far and their start? Honestly, I'm pleasantly surprised uh, by their four and two start. Um, e- even you know four and one before they lost uh, that slugfest to Cincy on on Wednesday night. Um, I I was watching the Cubs play in the exhibition games and thinking, oh dear God, this season's going to be bad. You look at their rotation, and I- I've always been a big Kyle Hendricks fan. I was super happy for him that he finally got that number one spot. You know, he's your opening day starter. I think he earned that. Uh, as all of the other aging Cubs pitchers in this Theo Epstein window have fallen off and fallen by the wayside, Hendricks has always been there. He's so steady. He's so consistent. And he proved that to you again with his first start of the season where he pitches a complete game, no earned runs. I think he gave up three hits, uh, nine Ks. Like it, it was a quintessential Hendricks performance, and I loved it. But I was terrified about the rotation after him, and I still kind of am. Like we got a really solid outing from, from Alec Mills, you know, he, he gave six clean innings. Um, I, but, you know, you still worry about Lester's durability and his age. You worry a lot about you, Darvish. And, oh, dear God, can we not even talk about the Cubs' bullpen? Because, <laughs> like, the, we've seen the Cubs take these big leads in a lot of these early games to start the season, and you're getting to the sixth, seventh inning, and you're getting ready to hand the game over to the bullpen, and you're like, I don't know if a seven-run lead's going to be enough. <laughs> Let's let's go to the uh, the uh, broader um, game of Major League Baseball, man. Of course, uh, as of this podcast, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers home opener has been postponed tonight against the St. Louis Cardinals because the two members of the Cardinals uh, organization have tested positive for COVID-19. As we all know, uh, the Miami Marlins, uh, their number stands at 19 members of their uh, team and coaching staff has tested positive for COVID-19. A couple of members of the Philadelphia Phillies have tested uh, positive for the virus as well. Uh, of course, you have all your uh, hot take talking heads on these uh, quote-unquote debate shows uh, uh, this earlier this week uh, following uh, that news with the Marlins saying, oh, baseball season uh, uh, should be canceled. Uh, you saw what the NBA did back in March. Uh, baseball should follow that same protocol, he- protocol here. What do you think about all this? Or do you think that Major League Baseball will finish this season? Um, I would love to see Major League Baseball finish this season, but I'm certainly not expecting it based on the trend that we've seen so far. Um, 
you, you know, you're talking about positive tests among multiple teams, including a team um, uh, in Miami that really like half of the roster has, has, has fallen to it. Um, I think it's going to be hard to contain this. And as much effort as they made to kind of restrict the travel, 60-game season, mostly about, you know, inter-division play, and then, you know, uh, across the, you know, AL and the NL, also playing teams that are close to you regionally. They did the best they could as far as the difficulty of such a compact schedule and trying to keep teams from traveling too much, but you're still traveling, and you're still you know you have no semblance of a bubble of making sure that everybody is in this enclosed space and getting tested every day and if for some reason somebody has to leave that bubble then they quarantine and then have to re-enter like we're seeing the NBA do and it's not just the NBA that's doing this successfully so far knock on wood we're seeing the similar thing with Major League Soccer right now we're seeing the same thing with National Hockey League um Dope, uh, dope Blackhawks shirt, by the way, Sid. Really excited oh, for that game you. tomorrow. Um, of course. I, uh, Hockey's back, like, baby. Hockey's back, baby. Yeah. I, oh, like, yeah. it, the, the bubble concept seemed crazy to us as it was being explained to us as sports fans, but so far, in three instances, it's working. So baseball, and I, I'm pretty sure that players had an issue with the concept of like the bubble and going to play all their season in Arizona, and I understand that. Um, but it, you know, if they're the ones who said, we don't want to do the bubble idea, well, guess what? The kind of restricted but still traveling regular baseball is not working right now, and I don't know how much longer the leagues are going to be able to hold on, assuming they don't alter any of their existing plans. Well, let's talk NFL for a second. They've been kind of been sort of, you know, you know, okay, yeah, you know, we know this is going on, but, you know, time's been on our side. Now you're seeing some teams, actually some players, you know, pull out, you know, Damian Williams, you know, probably the most, you know, the most, you know, big name that has come out and said he's opting out. Um, I all think of the Patriots. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Pretty much all the Patriots, you know, uh, and a couple other players as well. Do you see more players, you know, going with the opt-out route? I, yeah, if, if we do see more players opting out, here's, here's the only thing that matters to me, in my opinion. That's totally okay. Uh, you know, whether it's the NFL or any of the other professional sports leagues in our country right now, any player who weighs the, the pros and cons of the situation and weighs the, weighs the risks versus the rewards and decides, for me and my family right now, my best course of action is to not participate. The players have every right to make that decision. And, and people that I see on, you know, sports Twitter these days who are trashing these players for opting out and, oh, like, oh, why, you know, you're, you're such a, you know, you're such a wimp. You make so much money. Like, just, you know, suck it up, get the tests every day and go play, you know, like, as, as if, like, they owe us that in some capacity. It's like, no, there is a global pandemic happening right now. And if a player says they don't want to play because they don't want to increase their risk unnecessarily, who are we to say otherwise? So I, I would not at all be surprised if more players continue to opt out. I do hope selfishly that we get a 2020 NFL season because I'm, I'm a sports junkie, just like you guys. But, mm -hmm. you know, if, if enough players opt out that they feel like it's not really going to be doable, then, you know, we'll have to live with that. I know it's affecting us uh, locally. Of course, as uh, Bears fans, uh, defensive tackle Eddie Goldman uh, has opted out uh, for, for this season. I don't know if any more. Bears players are going to uh, follow uh, Goldman's lead. I know 
on social media, Akeem Hicks supported him and saying that Goldman made the best choice for him and his family. Uh, us as teammates are supporting, supporting Eddie Goldman. I, I, I just want to put this disclaimer out there as well. I was watching uh, Luke Connell from Fox 32. He was on television yesterday saying that uh, the NFL will allow those players who have opted out, uh, opted out to opt back in. I want to get your thoughts about that, Matt. Do you think, do you think that we'll see more of the, especially the big names uh, opting out, or uh, do you think it will be pre- pretty much status quo? Um, I, you know, I, I had the same concern when it came to the NBA as we were getting ready, ready for that bubble. And, you know, if, if God forbid players like Harden and LeBron and Kawhi were the ones to say, no, I don't want to do this. Thankfully, we've pretty much got most of the, uh, the biggest stars of the NBA in the bubble and participating, uh, especially on championship contending teams. Um, as far as the NFL is concerned, I, I understand if maybe players who are more established and stars who are on like large guaranteed contracts would be more inclined to say, you know what, I'd rather pass on this season. Uh, And whatever the league wants to do with putting timelines and restrictions on them, making up their mind or changing their mind, that's a really complicated issue. I think, you know, the best way to do it would just be to say at some point in training camp, here is like the final date where you make a decision, you're in or you're out. But I think the ones that are more inclined to say let's play are guys on expiring rookie contracts, you know, undrafted free agents who are at these training camps trying to make a name for themselves, trying to make a career for themselves, who don't have the luxury of, yeah, I'm I'm a starting quarterback and on on a franchise, you know, caliber uh, contract. And I I don't need to play this year if I don't want to. So, uh, you know, we might, as, as a silver lining, if the season does happen, find some diamond in the rough players, especially young players that we may not have discovered if some of those more established players decide to opt out and players have to replace them to complete these, these, uh, these full rosters. And, and maybe, you know, we, we get a lot more fun, uh, you know, coming out of nowhere, undrafted free agent rookies that, that really shine this season. I think there might be some other stuff going on with the Patriots. Maybe they're taking for Trevor Lawrence, but that's just me. That that's just that's just me. I, I listen. A disclaimer. That's just me. But uh, I mean, do you do you think they're gonna we're gonna have a full sixteen? Matt? Because you know, with everything going on and guys pulling out. Yeah, it's it's tough to say. I know we've already basically squashed the preseason. Now we're like talking like maybe one preseason game, uh, and I think. Uh, NFL fans have a love-hate relationship with preseason games because we're always just like, oh, what's the point? If you're not going to play anybody, just get to the real games already. But then you watch preseason games and you're really fascinated, or I know at least I am, with the positional battles of the guys who are like fifth and sixth and seventh on the depth chart to see who's going to make this roster. And that's kind of why uh, uh, preseason games can become useful um, for fans to get to know the, the back end of their, of their team, but also for the team and the coaching staff to evaluate who they want to bring on that final 53. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know if we're going to get a full 16-game season. Um, judging by the way that other sports are trying to make this happen right now and, and baseball condensing to 60 from 162, like you know it's such a different kind of schedule in a different league and you're talking about starting from 16 so do you reduce that to 14 do you reduce that to 12 to try and once again minimize risk minimize travel minimize exposure for these teams and their entire traveling uh, personnel 
I think it's I think it's possible that we see a a fewer than sixteen game season, um, and if if that's what it takes to make some semblance of an NFL season happen, again, I'm okay with that. Matt Peck of NBC Sports Chicago's Bulls Outsiders and co-host of the Locked On Bulls podcast is hanging out with us on Sega City Sports Zoom style, along with Miss Lakina McGee. I am Sydney Brown. Let's transition over to the Chicago Bears, Matt. It's a big season for head coach Matt Nagy and GM Brian Pace. Of course, last year they finished at a disappointing 8-8 mark. Some people say they uh, played like a 7-19. Some others may say they played at a 6-10 pace. But whatever your personal thoughts are, this is going to be a big year for this franchise. I want to uh, ask you this uh, first part uh, with the quarterback position with Mitchell Trubisky and now they bring in Nick Falls uh, from Jacksonville via trade. Uh, who do you see as a, as the starting QB for the Bears in week one when they face the Detroit Lions in Motown? Well, I, I know it's not a fun uh, conclusion to come to, but I am in the camp that I think most Bears fans are, which is that if this is a true QB competition in training camp, Nick Foles is going to be the winner. Um, he's established veteran. He's not flashy in any particular way, but he is the, the de facto answer when you look at who is the other person in that competition. And if the other person in that competition is the Mitch Trubisky we saw last season, then yeah, I think Nick Foles is better. At least he's a guy who can be uh, a, you know, quote unquote, game manager kind of quarterback. He's, he, he might not win that many games for you. But we have seen him with, with some fourth-quarter heroics and heroics and big moments, you know, when he was filling in for an injured Carson Wentz in Philly. Uh, he, he had kind of, you know, an up-and-down year in Jacksonville, uh, which might not necessarily be entirely his fault. But it just, to me, it goes back to the guy you traded up to take number two overall three years ago and the fact that he has not really showed you that much development through the first part of his NFL career. And it's not fun to say that the – mediocre vet that you actually had to give up a pick in a trade to get that you're not all that excited about is probably the guy winning the quarterback competition and not the guy you drafted number two overall just a few years ago. I really think that Allen Robinson is poised to have a big season and perhaps maybe even a big payday, hopefully. So what do you think of Allen Robinson's prospects for this upcoming season? Oh, I, I am all on the pay that man train for Allen Robinson. <laughs> I think one, one of the more underappreciated, like Pro Bowl caliber wide receivers in the league last season, we saw what he did um, as just a juggernaut star uh, before he came to Chicago. He, if he has a competent quarterback, he can be a legit WR1 in the NFL. I truly believe that. More so than anything we've seen recently since certainly the departure of, you know, the, the Alshon and Brandon Marshall duo that worked pretty well for Cuddy for a couple years there. Um, I, I think he absolutely is worth paying to keep around because as we have learned time and time again, running backs are just – they keep coming. You can, you can pick up a running back off of the free agent heap. You can pick a running back up off the waiver wire. You can find gem running backs in every single draft class, every single round, every single year. If you have an elite caliber wide receiver, they're worth paying. Uh, let's go back to the Bears' offense for just a second. Of course, entering year two out of, out of Iowa State is running back David Montgomery. Of course, we all know that 
head coach Matt Nagy was stubborn to get the running game going a year ago. Of course, Montgomery did show flashes last year as being a, 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 a quality running back in this league, even behind a bad offensive line. What do you expect out of Mr. Montgomery in year two? Yeah, I really liked watching Montgomery. He was kind of a bright spot in, in a really difficult season to watch. But the thing that was frustrating was feeling like you would get to the end of so many games last fall and say to yourself, how did Montgomery not get more touches than that? Mm-hmm. And it's not like the Bears were playing from behind an abnormal amount. I think they were in a lot of games that were just kind of steady. They, they, they weren't necessarily pretty games, but they, it's not like they were trying to come back from like a three-touchdown deficit or something. We saw Matt Nagy time and again just go away from the run and not really be able to explain at the post-game podium why he did that. Um, or certainly, at least in the eyes of Bears fans, who have always been a big fan of running the ball. You know, I know we were just singing the praises of Allen Robinson, but to me, when Montgomery shows you what he showed you, like, give, give that dude the rock. And the other thing I, that I have issues with with Nagy, which is I think one of the things that Bears fans first loved about him when he got here, is the gimmicky stuff. It's like the, the you know, the, the formations that he's using and the ways in which he calls running plays – I think there's uh, a desire among some of Bears fans to be like, dude, just just go with the good old, you know, hand the ball to Mo- Montgomery right, Montgomery left, I formation, whatever you want to do. Just you don't have to be too gimmicky about it. Because, like, how many times do we see him try and design some run up the gut for Tariq Cohen? And we're like, no, like, what are you doing? You're, you're misusing the running backs that you have in this trio of running backs based on their skills. Montgomery proved time and again to be a fall forward running back. That dude would always pick up an extra yard or two on every carry that he had. So I hope that Nagy puts more of an emphasis on figuring out the best way to use Montgomery because I do think he is a real talent in this league. Robert Quinn, they, they signed him. Akeem Hicks, you know, hopefully he's all good injury-wise. Do you think the Bears have what it takes to be that top five, top ten defense again? If if Hicks is healthy um, and and Quinn turns out to be a quality signing, which which I think he was, I mean I you know you talk about adding him to your front seven, um, and even despite a couple of disappointments, uh, most notably you know Leonard Floyd, an, another number one uh, you know first round draft pick in this recent era, but you know a, a healthy Khalil Mack, a healthy Akeem Hicks. Some of the other role play, you know, we, we still got Trevathan, you know, lining um, or manning the middle, you know, linebacker spots. Roquan did some really strong things last season. Um, and, you know, even, even some of the more unsung heroes that you guys mentioned uh, earlier, Eddie Goldman opting out this season on that defensive line. I think we, we could be poised for a big year from either Bilal Nichols and or Roy Robertson Harris. Roy Robertson Harris had a monster year last year that I think got a little bit uh, shorted on the credit he deserved for it. He's a real solid player. The, the key will be, you know, if you're talking about the Bears becoming a top five defense again, we saw a big drop off last season in their takeaways from the season prior when they were a team that went 12 and four and went to the playoffs. That was an insane amount of takeaways that they had in that 2018 season. And you were expecting a drop off last, year, last season, of course. You were also worried about the shift of defensive coordinator and Vic Fangio's departure uh, and bringing Pagano in. I think maybe now to have a second season under this new defensive coordinator, adding another really strong piece to that front seven, and hopefully 
a healthy Akeem Hicks and, and all the other key pieces that we just, you know, that we're talking about, if they find a way to up those takeaways and get them back closer to what it was in 2018, yes, they absolutely have the talent to be a top defense in this league. Let's transition back to basketball, Matt. Uh, we're not going to make your head hurt. We're actually <laughs> trying to make you smile w- w- with this question. Of course, we were in during, during this time uh, of quarantine, we were entertained by ESPN, uh, uh, The Last Dance. Uh, if you really want to be real about it, it was Michael Jordan's version of The Last Dance. Uh, <laughs> it was a 10-part ep- uh, episode, <laughs> which we watched for, for five weeks. As I said to, for, to our previous guests on, on, on this show, uh, it was a, for me personally. It was a privilege to uh, uh, be uh, born in in the '80s and, and grow up in this era and to watch Michael Jordan and the Bulls go from pretenders to contenders. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts uh, on the last dance. What did you like about it? What didn't you like about the documentary? Yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed the reliving the memories. Um, you know, I I also I was. Uh, born in the 80s late 80s so i remember parts of the first three peat but i remember the second three peat really well um and it's it's the most powerful thing when you talk about nostalgia that i've that i've experienced in my life not just as a sports fan but any any form of nostalgia thinking about that 90s bulls team uh immediately makes my hair stand up makes my eyes water so i was so my expectations could not have been higher for that documentary especially <laughs> considering how long we waited for it and how much it yeah. was hyped um, yes, it absolutely was a Michael Jordan propaganda piece. And I was completely okay with that because my favorite element was when the director of the film would hand MJ the iPad and play him a video of a different player in the NBA, one of MJ's <laughs> rivals, one of MJ's competitors talking about how they thought they got the better of MJ on this thing or why they thought that their, their competition with MJ was the way it was and seeing MJ react to it, just laugh, just shake his head. That was the, the beauty of that documentary to me because you really got to see that, that true version of MJ that's not just the, you know, this is the one millionth interview I've done kind of MJ. If, if I had a critique, it would be that there wasn't as much focus on some of the role players that I would have liked to see, but that goes along with, yeah, it, it was billed as the last dance documentary of the final Bulls championship season and of course, MJ is at the epicenter of that. He's at the epicenter of everything Bulls from the mid '80s to the to the end of the '90s. It it became very clear that it wasn't necessarily a '98 championship season documentary, but just a Michael Jordan documentary. Which you know that's fine. I still enjoyed it. But if you're gonna mm-hmm. say it's about the '97 '98 season, I would have liked a little bit more about that season specifically and some of the role players and some of the backstories and more of like the you know the behind the scenes footage that we had never seen before from that ESPN vault um, as opposed to just, you know, talking heads and, and MJ highlights. <laughs> it, I love the fact that at the end of it, say, listen, the, the bulls have been rebuilding uh, for the last 20 years. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's very, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, 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 yes. That, that part's very are. true. And still are. So yeah, so that, that part is still, still true. Uh, do you think maybe like the Lakers, those late t- 2000s, you know, to early 2010s Lakers, I think we've been saying, you know, Sid and I have been saying that, that, that if they ever do a documentary on them, that'd probably be even more interesting than The Last Dance. I, I mean, I don't know about more interesting. I mean, Michael Jordan is the most interesting athlete on earth. 
Like, I, I don't think, you know, you put him there with maybe Muhammad Ali, like, you know, Babe Ruth. I mean, like, who, MJ, when it comes to basketball, is it. I don't know if you can have a documentary about a, a, an individual more interesting and fascinating and just uh, gravitational than Michael Jordan. Now, that's not to say that there aren't interesting storylines were they to do a similar documentary about those Lakers teams. Everybody knows that Kobe and Shaq had beef, um, you, but they were, you know, a team that, that Phil, like he managed to wrangle MJ and Scotty and all the egos with the Bulls and then, you know, corralling Dennis in the second three-peat. Phil Jackson, with his crazy Zen stuff, made it work with Kobe and Shaq, so I'm sure that would be fascinating stuff. And they also had really interesting role players throughout those Lakers title years whether it be, um, you know, like Derek Fisher, Rick Fox, you know, uh, former Bull, Ron Harper, went and won another yeah. title before he hung him up. Horace mm-hmm. Grant, our old pal from the first three, Pete, was on one of those Lakers teams. Um, and uh, especially now um, in, in the tragic months, and it is crazy to think about the fact that Kobe Bryant passed away in January. This yeah. like, it, it's, it feels like eight lifetimes ago now, but it was only f- five months ago, um, six months ago. So if they were going to make a documentary that was about Kobe's championship Lakers years and also just about Kobe the person as sort of a tribute in a similar way that MJ took the very obvious, uh, you know, sole focus of, of the Bulls documentary, um, I, you know, I'd, I'd certainly watch. I, I wouldn't say it would be a more interesting doc than a, than a MJ Bulls doc, but I would certainly watch it. I know there's been talk about um... – there were cameras around during Kobe Bryant's final season in 2016. I know there's talks in the works of making a documentary about that entire season. We all know the Lakers were bad, but it was mostly about Kobe's farewell season. Also, there have been talks about doing something similar to uh, Magic Johnson. Of course, we, we all know that he's a polarizing figure as well, more off the court than on the court. But I wanted to ask you, Matt, would you see what documentary in that last dance style would you want to see of a team or an athlete, because I agree with you, there are no more polarizing athletes in our time than than Michael Jordan and Muhammad Ali. Uh, what team or athletes would you like to see uh, do more uh, digging deep in a documentary type style? That that's a really good question, um, because I I'm trying to think of the of teams that that deserve a documentary that don't have one yet, or or mm-hmm. athletes. Because, you know, we got the 85 Bears 30 for 30, which was awesome. Yeah. That was a Buddy yeah. Ryan story. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> As, it should be. Buddy Ryan. Mm-hmm. As it should be. As it should be. We're yeah. all on the same page that Mike oh, Dickett yeah. can go, you know, you know, pound sand, right? Like, it, oh, yeah. when, the, the whole, <laughs> like, Bears fans still bowing down to Dickett thing is ridiculous. Like, we need to stop that. The dude yeah. <laughs> is just an old curmudgeon who is putting his voice and his face behind the wrong people in this country right now. Like, oh, yeah. dude. That, that team was Buddy Ryan's team, and we all know that. Um, Agreed. But, like, we already have a documentary about the Celtics-Lakers rivalry of the 80s, and it was awesome. We have a documentary about the Bad Boy Pistons. It was awesome. Um, I mean, honestly, one that, that I don't know if it's been made. I can't think of one that's been made recently with the same amount of time and production quality as, say, The Last Dance. Something about, like, the early 1900s Yankees that were just, like, crazy dominant. Like – Obviously, it would be harder to make a documentary about a team that played before uh, cameras were a thing and and video of sports were a thing. But 
you know, as, as someone who's always been fascinated by history of sports and likes to go back in time a little bit and a little bit more and a little bit more from when I was born and started watching sports to things that happened prior to me being around and developing an appreciation for sports history, that's where I would look. Like, you know, what, what really old team from some generation once or twice removed from where we are now maybe got looked over and, and would be really fascinating uh, to do a deep dive on, 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 on a team that's, you know, from, from a lifetime prior to ours. Ooh, I find that very fascinating. Um, so, so, Matt, let's talk college football for a second. Caleb Foley, who is the top, you know, who's the, I think he was all, he was all ACC. I think he was second or third team All-America last year. He's a quarterback from Virginia Tech, has decided to opt out from playing this year. Do you, and I think, I think it was a running back from Illinois. I forgot his name. I think he was the first to say he's opting out. Do you see college football, some college football players opting out because some, some conferences in the lower tiers are talking about maybe playing this in the spring and not the fall. So what, what, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, just like I have no problem with NFL players opting out and respecting that decision. I think even more so it, it, it makes sense to feel that way about college football players because they're, you know, they're still fighting to get paid for what they, in my opinion, deserve as student athletes. Yes, but athletes who make their schools so much money off of merchandise and their their names and, and likenesses. And you, like the evidence of it is clear right now when we're hearing all these stories and reading all these columns about if college football doesn't happen the amount of financial trouble that so many colleges and universities across this country are going to find themselves in because their football team makes up like 85% of their school's annual income. So, you know, if, if, if college football players want to use this opportunity to say, you need us to make your college solvent and we're not going to risk ourselves in the midst of a global pandemic to still once again not get paid when we should be fairly getting paid and I don't think that it, they would necessarily put themselves at risk if they were players looking ahead towards an NFL career to say will this hurt my draft stock because we've seen time and again that college players for whatever reason transferring or sitting out a year um, you know if, if you have talent uh, NFL teams will draft you so I, you know, I, if, if I were a college football player right now, I would absolutely be saying, do you guys want to finally talk money? Because if you want to finally talk money, then maybe we could talk about playing football this year. Sticking with the college football theme, of course, uh, the big news as of this podcast is that uh, the ACC and the SEC will uh, go to conference-only schedules, and the season will start on September 26th. So it looks like all five power conferences will – States to conference-only schedules for this upcoming season. Uh, I wanted to ask you, do you think that college football will finish without any hiccups, or do you see something that's coming that we don't know about? I mean, to me, it's a toss-up, just like Major League Baseball, just like the NFL. If you're not going with the bubble plan that we have seen work so far, knock on wood, with basketball Mm -hmm. and soccer and hockey – and you're going to allow teams and team staff to travel around to play these games, even if, like we're seeing with some of these conferences, they're deciding, all right, we're, we're only going to play interconference games. We're going to try and limit travel, just like the, you know, the Major League Baseball teams are trying to do. The, the testing 
and the reaction time to testing and you know each each uh football program will be as as strict or as lax as they are and and hopefully it's more strict than lax but like when we saw just last week a, a major league baseball team play a game and decide knowingly to play a game having several players on their roster have positive covid test results the day prior what about that decision made any sense to anybody so when you talk about making sure that everyone in your team's traveling party is testing negative before traveling to your opponent's home stadium for the weekend and then traveling back. It just seems like, uh, just like a giant mountain of a task to accomplish and accomplish successfully week in and week out. So I would, I would be surprised if we get a college football season that gets all the way to the end. And if, you know, speaking of the season, Look, all look. We we always use the big house, um, the horseshoe, Kinnick Stadium. Yeah, I'm talking about the Big Ten schools, of course, but also outside of that, Jordan Hare down in Auburn. You're not going to see oh 70, 80, 90, 100 thousand fans this this fall, or even in the springtime. You're just not going to be able to do it. So maybe 20, 25 percent, I guess, maybe. But do you see any fans? Because like Sid said, I mean, college football is very visual for television and how is it going to look if you don't have fans there? I mean, college football fans are crazy. Like, if if they and, – and, you know, whether it's a team-by-team team decision or if the NCAA makes some blanket rule, we'll see. But, to, like, to me, if, play, if teams let 25% capacity of their, of their team's fans in their home stadium, the fans will show up and the fans will be there, especially – you know, if, uh, if they make a student section, because college students, especially at, you know, big schools, universities with big college football programs, what do they, they, you know, they wake up early Saturday morning, they tailgate like crazy. And then they, you know, they walk their drunk asses into the stadium. And we've also (laughs) seen across this country right now, young people, especially, and, you know, especially in big cities, like here in Chicago, when the bars patio started opening up, when restaurant patios started opening up, young people are like, we don't care about COVID. We're, we're young. We'll be fine. Like, you know, spring break 2020. Woo. I fully anticipate <laughs> like, if, if college football fans are allowed into stadiums, even at a limited capacity, they will be there. Last question from Matt Pegg of NBC Sports Chicago's Bulls Outsiders and co-host of Locked Up Bulls podcast right here on Second City Sports Zoom style. Matt, we're going to end this interview on a high note. A little challenging question for you, but I know you can handle it, right? I, I, let's hope so. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, I give you one virtual ticket to go back in time for a sporting event. Which one would you choose? I'll give you four choices. Four choices. Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah, four choices. One, Bulls Jazz 1998 Game 6 Jordan's last shot. Two. 1985 Bears Super Bowl win over the New England Patriots. Number three, Jackie Robinson, opening day 1947. Number four, the Cubs win the World Series in 2016. Or number five, uh, Venus and Serena Williams women's tennis final. Which one of those five events would you choose to go back in time to win? Wow, that is a really good list and a tough call. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start ruling them out. Um, I do really enjoy watching the occasional tennis match. And, you know, I, I love the, 
the, the Grand Slam tournaments in tennis. Uh, and I, I have loved watching the careers of both Serena and Venus, but I'm not that I'm not going to claim to be that big of a tennis fan to choose that. So I'm going to rule that out. Um, I'm, I'm going to rule out Jackie Robinson because as much as I appreciate that moment in sports history, I don't think I want to go back to 1947. Even, even as a tall, privileged white man, that just doesn't sound like a fun time to go to. Uh, I, would not, I would not look to enjoy the atmosphere of that time in that place. Um, so, oh, so, so what do I got left? I got the Cubs World Series. I got the 85 Bears. And I've got MJ's game, uh, game six shot in 98. Is yes. that what's left? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's what's left. Oh, man. I. Mm. You stumped them, Sid. Uh, <laughs> you it's, stumped it's them. I, this is what it's all about. <laughs> I, you know what? I have to go with, with game six and 98. It, it might be a predictable answer coming from someone who's always been a Bulls fan first among all of my Chicago teams. And I even like, I watched Michael Jordan and the Bulls win game one of the 97 finals. I've been to a dynasty era finals game. It wasn't a title clinching game, but even knowing that I have that in, in the, the rear view mirror of my blessed childhood as a sports fan, to me, he's still it. You know, we were just talking about the greatest names and, and, and uh, careers in the history of sports in this country. MJ's still it. I, I love going back and watching tape of, of Walter Payton, and I'm sad that I'm too young to have really missed the prime of his career. Watching the Cubs win a World Series was amazing, but it doesn't get better than MJ cementing his sixth finals MVP and his sixth championship on the last shot of his Bulls career. Like, I... I I would give anything to have been in that building. Just to piggyback, yeah, just to piggyback off your point, uh, Matt, real quick. I know you said you were at Game One of the '97 Finals against Utah, correct? Correct. At least you saw Michael Jordan make a game-winning shot. My late mother had season tickets to the Bulls games back in the day at the old Chicago Stadium. I was at Game One of the '91 Finals against the Lakers, and of course, Jordan oh, missed the last the shot. The one game they lose. Game he missed, yes. <laughs> the one game he missed a shot. Yeah, I had to keep my head down so I, so people wouldn't look at me crying because uh, I saw my favorite player miss a potential game-winning shot. But of course, we all know as the old saying goes, um, the rest was history after that game. It's so rare, yeah. I just wanted to point that out. Right, but you know what? You, you helped. You were a part of the atmosphere that night that got MJ so pissed off that he lost that game <laughs> that he decided that he wasn't going to lose another game that season. He was just going to go well, ahead there you and go. win exactly. the next four. There you go. Give, give, give <laughs> there Magic a gentleman sweep. You can take some credit for that, Sydney. See, there you go. <laughs> there you go, Sid. Oh, I Anything else it. from you, Lakina? Uh, well, the uh, just real quick, the, the Lou Williams thing where uh, Magic City wings and, and, what, and whatnot. Uh, yeah, look, 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 I appreciate looking at a good looking, good looking men, you know, half naked. Okay, fine, but you know, look, if they got good nachos, hey, that, that's fine too. So, either one of you guys, you're both single, so either, either one of you guys would do uh, you know, food, you know, a strip club food or a delivery table food. I, I don't know, <laughs> I mean. Just personally, I've I've never been a big fan of the uh, gentlemen's clubs, quote unquote. Um, I've I've been to one in my life, and it was for a college buddy's bachelor party in Atlantic City. Uh, and having had the experience once, I don't think I never have to have it ever again. And I, I'm not, you know, grandstanding here and say, oh, they're such terrible places. I, I have such high moral character. Just not really my scene. Uh, <laughs> That's you know, um, if if the wings are as good as everyone says they are, then. 
in some way, I think that does excuse Lou Williams' decision to there. If it was a quick in and out, put a mask on, get your carry out and go. Because I've, I've been doing that here in Chicago, you know, trying to support local restaurants and businesses. We do a lot of carry out. And if you're in the building for a few minutes and you're properly distanced and you got a mask on, there's not a lot of risk to that right now. That's the safest way you can do things. Um, with, with Lou, though, it's just knowing that he is not just taking a risk for himself, but risking the security of this bubble that everyone is terrified is going to somehow get popped metaphorically because we like, we just had so much fun watching an NBA doubleheader last night and we're all just crossing our fingers and praying to whatever gods we worship that it's that, that this bubble stays safe and a player leaving the bubble and then coming back. If, if you're going to be that player who, you know, the one who ruins it for everybody, nobody wants to be that guy. So, of course, people are going to call you out if your behavior outside the bubble is questionable before they let you back in. Real, real quick, I've never been to a gentleman's club either, but I'm not in a rush to go anytime soon. But I will say this about Lou Williams. The only the mistake that he made was taking a picture with a guy inside the gentle, gentleman's club. Yeah, no, that was very LeBron, No, he's not LeBron James. No, he's not Kawhi Leonard. He's not Paul George. But you are still an NBA player. That was stupid of you to take a picture with the person inside the gentleman's club. You know, if you're an NBA player or a sports athlete, uh, you already thrown in the spotlight as it is. And then to take a picture with that person, you know it's going to get spread all, all over social media like fire. So, yeah, uh, Lou Williams was stupid for doing that. I mean, you, you can blame the, the guy who took the picture with him and posted it, like that wh- wh- whoever that rapper was, who's like a buddy of mm-hmm. Lou Williams. I don't, Local I don't rapper, know. I had never even heard of that dude. You know, th- these kids with their music these days. I listen to music <laughs> from the 80s and the 90s. Um, <laughs> So I was like, Yay. I was like, I was like, who the, I was like, who the hell is this guy? Um, but he, so he takes some of the blame for taking the picture with Lou and then posting it on social media. Lou also should have been aware, like, hey, probably tell that guy, don't post this anywhere on social media. I'm supposed to be, you know, social distancing and keeping myself safe to go back to the bubble right now. I do think it's funny though that that guy, the the rapper who posted the picture, once he realized the mistake he had made tried to correct it by saying like oh that was a that was an old picture of me and lou will you know i was just reminiscing and and thinking about some fun times we had about and lou will is wearing an nba face mask that he got in the bubble (laughs) (laughs) oh god oh my gosh you don't don't have to be sherlock holmes to figure out that that excuse was a a really bad one he's just a bad he was just a bad liar too come on now dude (laughs) it's crazy on that note, we'd like to thank Matt Peck of NBC Sports Chicago Bulls Outsiders, and he's the co-host with Jordan Manley on the Bulls Locked On Bulls podcast. Matt, thank you so much for joining us here today. We appreciate it. Let's do this again sometime. And before you go, where can people follow you on social media one more time? Yeah, at Bulls underscore Peck on Twitter. You can follow us, uh, the Locked On Bulls podcast, at Locked On Bulls. You can follow me on Instagram if you want to, at Meat Peck, M-E-A-T-P-E-C-K. Uh, it's mostly pictures of my nieces and the steaks that I eat. So it's not necessarily sports related, but if you feel like it, go ahead. Uh, Sydney and Keena, thank you so much for having me again, guys. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, I hope you guys have a great weekend and, and stay safe. You as well. You too, Matt. Thank you. All righty. All right. Another fun-filled episode of Second City Sports Zoom style. We love doing this for you are loyal and great 
faithful and faithful listeners out there. So sports is back, Lakina. Uh, we're gonna uh, we're forced to be couch potatoes because we cannot attend these games. So I'm lo- really looking forward to it. Hockey is back. Basketball yep. is back. Baseball is still trucking along, even though quarter of your teams are they're not trying. playing they're this trying. weekend, but they are trying. Yeah, look, you got to give them. You know, you got to give them props for trying. Look, it's a sports smorgasbord. I mean, you got WNBA, you got golf, you got racing and all in all forms. So this is what we've been we've been waiting for all for like last, what, four, three or four months, Sid. So yes. it's mm-hmm. here. And, you know, so far, so good with the, you know, the NBA and, and MLS. You know, they've had zero positive tests. The bubble's been working for them. And we'll see with the MLB. I mean, it's not looking very good for them right now. Yeah, quick announcement. Uh, the NHL will start their playoffs uh, this Saturday uh, um, on NBC for you, for those of you watching in Chicago and across the country. Game one of the qualifying round between the Chicago Blackhawks and the Edmonton Oilers will be this Saturday at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time on NBC. That's regular NBC, no cable, so, yeah, so you don't have to go anywhere right. bring it to somebody's house or download the channel illegally, so it's on free TV. And so that we're encouraging that. Exactly. That's this Saturday at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time on NBC is the Blackhawks and Edmonton Oilers game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs 2020 style 24, uh, 2014 tournament. And I will be tweeting live during that broadcast. You can follow me on Twitter at SidKid80. Once again, at SidKid80, that's S-I-D-K-I-D-80. And also, um, I believe all the, the commentators there are going to be like from their respective homes. I know Eddie yes. Olchek said that I think he's broadcasting from here because, of course, you know, he's a cancer survivor, so he has to mm-hmm. be extra cautious. Um, and Doc Emberg, who doesn't look it, but he is of in the, in the high-risk age, so I think he's going to be in Boston, I think, where he lives, I believe. Yeah. I, think, I think all the other commentators who are going to be from their respective home, hometown. So they're, kind of, they're going the, the soccer route, it looks like, with, their, with the hockey. Yes, from right here, that's what they're doing. But before, for, for both the local and the national broadcast for the NHL. Yeah, so uh, probably probably smart on their part because I think Canada's been, you know, they're like, no, 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 you're not, they're not, they're not letting anybody. They don't want us in our territory. No, and they're not. So. And I can't, and I can't say, I, and we, listen, we can't say we blame them, you know, for, exactly. other, for other reasons, but we won't get to that. But this right. has been a fun show, Sid. I mean, look, yes. so we had two great guests, you know, thanks to uh, CBS Denver's Romy Bean, also Bulls, Bulls Insider, and also Lockdown Bulls podcast host, Matt Peck. I mean, two friends of the show, and Yes. You know, we're going to look, look, listen, I mean, we can't do it from our studio anymore, unfortunately, but we're going to, I think this might be better because we have to see the people we talk to. So this is sort of more intimate. And I think, you know, we're seeing, we didn't see Matt, unfortunately, but uh, hello, Wi-Fi problems. But, uh, but look, this has been fun and, you know, we'll be doing more for you now twice a week. Yeah, this is fun. We love doing this. We love uh, uh, hearing from you guys and keep listening to the podcast and, uh, we'll keep doing this thing. So I love doing this. So we're going to keep this thing going. All right. You can follow me at Keena McGee on Twitter, at Keena underscore McGee on the Insta. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at SidK80. Once again, at SidKid80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-80. You can read all of my articles at weareregalradio.com. That's W-E-A-R-E-R-E-G-A-L radio.com. And one more again, as the kids would say, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at SidKid80. This Saturday at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time, as the Chicago Blackhawks will take on the Edmonton Oilers in game one of the qualifying round of the Stanley Cup playoffs 2020 style. I will be tweeting live 
during that game. So you can interact with, with me while you're watching the Blackhawks. Hopefully take game one of that series. Absolutely. We're going to be cheering for the Hawks. And I think they may and have a chance. it's on NBC, folks. Free TV. Yeah, yeah free TV, folks. And, uh, and also uh, the Pac-12 officially announced they're going to go a 10-game schedule. They'll start September 26th. So more and more, this is sort of, you know, coming into place in the college football realm. We'll talk with Jason about that coming up Monday. Um, also, yeah, so listen, we got a lot, a lot of sports, you know, sports all over the place, Sid. And look, I mean, we're going to have – we actually have sports to talk about now, Sid, which, which is actually yeah. pretty good, I got to say. Yes, and we're back in business, uh, like, uh, like I always say. Let's keep this train going because we do it for you guys. We love what we do, but we do it for you guys. So keep supporting us. Yeah, and also We Are We Rego is also on YouTube. We have our own YouTube channel. So make sure to tell your friends to subscribe and you subscribe as well. And also we want to, uh, you know, applause to and congrats to our good friend, Damon Squirrel, who just yes. completed his last uh, podcast with the Dia Davis show. But you're, you're still going to see more of him. You just won't be seeing him doing it in this, this format, but. Yeah, like I said before a couple of weeks ago, he's down Cornelius. He's going from in front of the camera to exclusively behind the camera. So he's not going anywhere. He'll be a big presence still on social media. So uh, he's not going anywhere. He's just taking a nice long break from the mic. And there's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. And it's not, not going to be too, too warm this weekend. So enjoy the weather. But with the distance, you know, make sure you wear your mask and wash your hands. Yes. Yes. So... You know, we'll see you guys on Monday with Jason. Stay safe. Hockey is back. Holla! <laughs>